Hello, gorgeous. How are you? Hello. I'm fucking wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. We're yeah. both reeling after Mara Town, I know. <gasps> <gasps> we can't handle our lives. Oh my god. We're not going to spoil it. I, was, but... I feel like we can't even talk about it because other than to say it was absolutely amazing. Oh, it's so good. So good. Ah. Oh. But yeah, I'm too afraid to say literally anything about anything for fear that I'm going to open my big fat mouth and ruin some shit for somebody, it's which I so don't want to do. It's so good. That's all you need to know. It's phenomenal. Ah. Uh, all just... the way up until the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Watch uh, it. So good. Watch it. HBO. You not do not disappoint. Out of the park. Yeah. They're fucking killing it. They're fucking nailing it. So good. You've been watching Hacks too, which was supposed to I have been good. watching Hacks. And while I have enjoyed Hacks, it has just recently taken a turn where I'm like, oh, I'm very interested now. Okay. I'm very interested. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so like it was lighthearted and it took a dark turn kind of situation or? Uh, not exactly. Yeah, it was lighthearted, but it's more that the odd coupleness of it is now paying off into, into why this is actually going to be a fruitful relationship. Okay. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm into this. What's what's gonna happen next? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's great. That Jean was, Smart is wonderful. She's lovely, yes. Yeah. It's funny because when I think of her, she is like the pervy neighbor in the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> it's like, hey Peter, <laughs> yes, you're growing up yes, like your dad. Yes. Oh my and god. And it was like putting their like lawnmower money, like mowing her lawn in like their pockets in front of their pants. And oh so my gross and pervy. So but sexual, perfection. But I love it. Yes. Oh, I love she's it. She's just fucking incredible. Yeah, she's really great. Oh, love her. So Amy and I had a a whirlwind of a weekend. <laughs> we had a very eventful week. Usually we don't see each other between well, recordings. That- well, not just that. It occurred to us that we have not hung out in a non- recording fashion since October uh depending on when you're listening to this it's June that's a while it's been a bit it's been a hot minute and to be fair when I come over to record we bullshit for like two hours then we record and then we bullshit and then we bullshit for another couple hours so it's not like this is strictly business no no yeah but it was like we actually have not just hung out and not recorded and like looked cute and whatever since October, since before we recorded our first episode. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> it's the more you say it, the more real it's yeah. becoming. Yes. yes. So we, we went ham. Oh, God, we went so ham. <laughs> Amy couldn't keep up. Monique was fine. Amy was destroyed by the end of night, too. So What Amy means to say is... <laughs> Amy's a normal person, and Monique is a functional alcoholic. <laughs> Amy is a lightweight <laughs> and just could not. That being said, I had a fucking amazing time, and I would happily go through all of the pain of the following day <laughs> to relive that night. So, Likewise. So great. We we went to go see friend of the pod, Todd Robbins' Todd show. Todd Robbins, which was fucking amazing. It was amazing. He gave us a shout out. <gasps> he did. In the show. In the best way possible. Where he was like... Zach Baggins, come at me, bro. And Monique and I died and we were the only ones laughing in the whole room because obviously that was geared specifically towards yes, us. Yes, it was such a delight. I can't even handle Todd. And then and then a couple days later, <laughs> I had purchased tickets to a magic show. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I very much enjoy magic. I would never call myself this, but I have seen a lot of the top people 
And when those people find that out, they are like, oh, so you're like a magic connoisseur. <laughs> I don't believe that to be so, but I have discerning tastes when it comes to magic. You're an enthusiast. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. 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 So uh, a magician that I know very casually, I follow him on Instagram, which I guess is how people know each other these days. And he posted that he was in this show that was very close to my apartment. And I was like, great, magic, fantastic. And they didn't let you buy a ticket for one because that's single list. I don't know if that's a real word. I just made it up. I liked it. Boom. There you go. So I bought two tickets and I was like, all right, who the fuck do I, I rope into going to this magic show with me? And Amy and I went to go <laughs> hey, see Scott Robin. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, totally. I'll hang out with you in two more days. I'm like, amazing. And the gods smiled on us because Amy, in addition to her <laughs> sparkling company and personality, she was the perfect person to go with me to the show because it turns out that the show was a fucking game. <laughs> it's like a hidden game. <laughs> Amidst the magic. And if you're just now listening to this podcast and have never listened to it before, I, Monique Marie Sanchez, hate a motherfucking game. Hate flames on the side of my face. Madeline Kahn and Clue fucking hate games. Does not What abide. the fuck? Oh my fucking God. Are you fucking serious right now? So I wasn't going to just see magic. I was going to be forced to play a fucking game. With like clues and puzzles you had to solve. Yeah. And like work together. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? No. This is not a great Sunday night for me, kids. Amy... Love is a game. I love a game. I was fucking here for it. She was here for it. She I was, was so excited. Putting the clues together, and I was just drinking my two drinks that I had ordered at one time, <laughs> which was smart. I mean, because it was a bit of a shit yeah. show. Uh, Amy nailed the game. I ah. I was not a participant in any of it. She was alone by herself. I, I was I was definitely eavesdropping on some of the other groups, so I was definitely getting hints and tricks that way. But it was I a, was still here for the game for sure. It was just not it was not my preferred magic going experience no. for a multitude of reasons. No, it did have great magic moments. That being said, yeah. I did enjoy several of the performers. I pretty much enjoyed everybody actually. Yeah, it was it was odd because. Again, I go to see a lot of magic shows, and oftentimes when the magicians find out that I do that, they're like, oh, well, then I'm going to give you, like, the real shit. You're going to see, like, the super yeah. complicated shit. It's like, great. When that was uncovered, they were like, cool, so none, none of us are going to call on you. None of us are going to show you anything. You yeah. have been ostracized Basically, from this fucking show. Basically, you were show. a pariah, like, immediately. They were like, you seem like a plant or something. Get out of here. And it was like, what am I going to do? Be like, uh, this is bullshit. Like, no, I paid several US dollars. Yeah. To come here and enjoy this. To come this. here and enjoy this. Then the only reason I know about this is because I have met another magician in the show twice who also didn't even show up in our room. <gasps> yeah. You were very disappointed about that. I was disappointed by a lot of fucking things <laughs> that night. Amy's the only thing that turned it the fuck around. Oh, thank you. Real fucking talk. I'm, I'm happy I could provide that experience at least. Not my fave. Yeah. It was also strange because people like would come in and out and then you'd have like lulls where there wasn't a performance or anything and you were just, I guess, solving the puzzle. That was the time you were supposed to solve the puzzle and do shit. Todd Robbins hosts a show that is not super dissimilar to this. Okay. Which is where I'm going to guess they probably got the idea. 
where you're you're seated at different tables and then magicians come to you and then they do like close up magic tricks like okay card tricks and that stuff. i like that's that, different and then when they're not at your table the lull it's because you're watching a magician on the stage do something for everybody okay okay now that's I as opposed like... to like figure some bullshit out yeah goodbye figure out this puzzle that no one gives a fuck about <laughs> it was so Which... like the monique sanchez living her worst motherfucking life your and... face when you saw that there was a game you were like <laughs> i'm holding it together but also i'm not pleased you finally like understood I the did. level to which i fucking I hate this and i was like oh my god you're so lucky it's me here because i am all about this right now no literally you were the best person to <laughs> be there one because you were gonna handle this Two, 100%. because I just enjoy your company. So Same. Like, and we could laugh about it because I know you hate it. So like, I'm not yeah. going to be like, no, Monique, play this game with me. Like, no, you have to take it seriously. I'm going to be like, you exactly. can tell this game to fuck off. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I didn't make yeah. this game. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Oh my God, you're so welcome. Because... Thank you for taking me to a magic slash game show because oh I enjoyed God. it. Also, this is another fucking horror podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't remind you this time. Now I forgot. <laughs> I forgot, damn it. In case you didn't know, I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Trayden. Also, if you haven't, I highly, highly, highly recommend Bo Burnham's <gasps> Netflix special, Inside. First of all, if you haven't watched Bo Burnham at this point in your life, like, watch all of it. Yeah. He has a bunch of specials on Netflix. Watch all of them. They're all amazing. They're all phenomenal. But yes, Ugh. if you didn't realize he had a new special on Netflix, please stop everything and watch it. Because he's amazing. He's, he's amazing. Brilliant. So it's called Inside. And the crux of it is essentially, one, what it's been like to be trapped inside for yes. a year. And two, what it is like to be inside his head while being trapped inside. Side. And it was it's truly, in the most non-facetious and non-pretentious way, a work of art. And something that I I just really loved it. And it was... As a performer, I, I definitely identified with the like madness and despair of being stuck inside without being able to do the thing that you do, which, uh, which is perform, yeah, which is perform, which is truly why this podcast exists. Yeah, is it was born out of that and uh, of this panic of I can't perform and how the fuck am I going to perform and do this when my entire industry shut down and that ruminating in my head and then just having the series of serendipitous events of working this event, working with you, meeting you, hitting it off across the board, but very specifically about this very niche yeah, thing. Yeah, fuck yeah. And then two weeks after our gig was up being like, hey, do you want to do a podcast with me? It's like, yes, yes, please. Yeah. And then the immediate next sentence that came out of my mouth was cool. I don't know how to, anything how to do a podcast. <laughs> we'll figure this fucking shit out. Yeah. And we did. Hey. Um. So I can't recommend it enough. It's it's a it's a fucking work of art. The word brilliant is the only word that comes yeah. to mind, but it doesn't feel like enough. Sure. And it feels like it feels like I'm just tossing it out there, like, oh my gosh, it's so brilliant. Yeah. But like it's a masterpiece. It's truly. he's actually brilliant. He's yeah. actually just not on our level. No, no, yeah. God, I wish I was on that level. And you know, and it's one of those things that you watch it, and again, as someone who's creatively inclined, it's like I want to do that. But I'm like, I, can't, I mean, I can't do that. I no, have no yeah. way. I like cannot spell that out of me. Because if the content isn't impressive enough, he directed it and shot it and edited it himself. Did all the lighting, all the effects, He everything. did everything himself. Yes. 
And when you see it, it's really it's a it's it's a masterpiece. It's, it's literally really a one a man show. Yeah. yeah, can't recommend it enough. It's fucking it's wonderful. It's yes. really great. And again, if you have somehow been living under a stupid rock like and me. didn't know Bo Burnham existed, please do yourself a favor and just binge everything he's done. Yeah. It's so you will not regret it. It's so good. I was reading some analysis of Inside, and it was uh, said something to the effect of his his technical skill has matched up to his talent because oh, wow. he's always been yeah. very talented. But now it's like it's an opus. It like it, it's yeah. really like it's That's really really it. incredible. Can't recommend it enough, especially if you need someone to take the edge off of Maravie's stuff. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I don't know how much of an edge it takes off. I mean, anything really compared to Maravie's town. It's, it's, yeah. Oof. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. Rocked. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Again, until the very end. Until the very it end. Fucking, uh, it gets you. Yeah, I, I did the dramatic like slap over to Johnny several <laughs> times to the point where he was like kind of pulling away, like, okay. Like, that's, like, the fourth time you've kind of, like, dramatically slapped me because you're freaking out over some Mare of Easttown shit. And this is not a spoiler, but for anyone who knows their actors and has been watching Mare of Easttown and is not finished and is like, why is Julianne Nicholson in this if they're not using her? Sweetheart. They, they get to yep. it in the last episode and they, it's yep. fucking gorgeous. Yep. It's gorgeous to watch and it's amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah, uh, so good. I also thought of you, again, this is not a spoiler in any way, shape, or form, but I brought up to Monique at one point, not on the podcast, but in a separate conversation, that I well, found we hung it, out for the first time seven, in like yes. eight months? Yeah, eight months. Casually. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't really leave my house. I don't really like go out, despite living in New York City. I mean, kind of a homebody. I, I like to blame it on the pandemic. That's all. Oh, I mean, I definitely blamed on the pandemic, but anyone who's known me has known I've been like this. <laughs> That's what the fuck time is. They know what the fuck time Amy is. Amy doesn't leave her house. Uh, so in this conversation, I was like, the thing I find most unbelievable about this show is that she goes by Mare and no one has ever once asked her, like, that's an interesting name. Where did that come from? And then in the very last episode, Mary Ann. She gets called Mary Ann, and I was oh. like, "Oh my god!" Monique called it because you said was she was Mary. Yeah, and that they ca- called her Mare, and I was like, "Okay, that never occurred to me that Mare would be like a shortened form of yeah. Mary, and it's like a little nickname." Well, because she's also Sheehan, so that probably means that she's Irish. Irish. She's probably and Siobhan is the daughter, right? Which is a very so Irish she's probably yes. Catholic. Yeah, whether she's lapsed. So Catholics love a Mary. Catholics do love a, a Mary. variation of a Mary. They fucking live for it. My middle name, Marie. There you go. They fucking love a fucking Mary in there. So I was like, odds are it's, it's it has to be a Mary situation. Fucking called it. As Marianne. soon as they said her name, I literally like both hands up in the bed was like, Marianne. <laughs> yes. Okay. That answered all of my questions. Thank you. That's the only thing that was left. Yeah. <laughs> Who gives a shit about the killer? We needed to know what Mary's real name was. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, HBO Max, for knowing the question that would reside in my heart forever. So we, before we get into our, our whole spiel of the ghosts or the yeah. aliens and the murders. Or whatever. Or whatever you know. the fuck. <laughs> this is such a nebulous show that it's like, I know, right? You never fucking know. No, it's just kind of like, oh, this is what I feel like talking about. <laughs> yeah. Girl, we're having one of those weeks. Don't you worry. But it's never not fascinating. True. Good. So one correction, I believe it was in the last episode where I briefly mentioned Mark Twitchell and like confessing everything that they found in the file. And I said that it was the SK Diary, 
Yeah, that's what it was named. Killer. Yeah, it's actually worse. It's SK Confessions. Oh, great! That's better. Fucking loser. Yeah, and because we don't deserve her, Amy asked a question of Grace. <gasps> and Grace, light of my life, this angel. We don't deserve her. We don't deserve her. She fucking came through. Motherfucking saint up in this bitch. Yeah, yeah. and guess what? Oh, also, um. <laughs> I'm obsessed with everyone who was obsessed with the saint. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for the DMs. We're not alone. There's dozens of us. Fuck yes. And you're all amazing because you have fantastic taste. Clearly. Clearly. Uh, Did I watch the saint three more times (laughs) in that 12 day period? And that culminated with me purchasing it? Goddamn right I did. Okay. I'm so excited about that. Fuck Yes. Because I'm actually a little pissed at myself that I didn't rewatch it during those 12 days and I kind of missed my window, but I got you. I fucking got you. You're amazing. You're amazing. All right, but tell me what Grace said. Greetings, travelers. Yes! I realized that with this email, I'm sending you two letters in a week, which (gasps) seems a little excessive, but (laughs) I've never been a traditional kind of gal, so fuck it. Grace? We're fucking obsessed with you. Not, a, not excessive at all. Like, we no. love it. Yes. We ask you for the questions. And all you, the time. Yes. <laughs> you answer And us. you answer. Because you're God amongst men. Facts. So the question that was asked, which was in, our last episode was a True Listener Tales. It was in the episode before, was having to do with how often do people <laughs> die by suicide by like, putting a gun in the back of their head. Yes. So to recap and get everyone to where we are. Regarding your suicide questions, gosh, where to start? <laughs> Let's kick this party off by saying, I've seen some shit. Oh my God. Girl, of course. Of course you have. Of course. Oh my God, we're obsessed with you. When it comes to pretty much every death investigation, it's usually a good idea to begin by assuming everything is a homicide, then you walk it back from there. And this is especially true when it comes to suicide. Suicide is a tricky subject. And I could go on for hours about it, but I'll tailor my diatribe to your specific questions about Tim McNamara's alleged suicide. Long story short, in all caps, no fucking way. Thank you. Exactly. Yes, Grace. Correct. Exactly. Long story slightly less short, exceedingly improbable. Allow me to explain. First of all, it's difficult for me to weigh in on Tim's gunshot wound specifically because there's a lot that goes into interpreting a gunshot wound and without seeing it or very good pictures of it, it's hard to say whether or not it was possible for it being self-inflicted or just improbable. Okay. Yeah, fair. Fair. Different features of a gunshot wound will indicate whether it was a contact as in the barrel was pressed directly against the skin, loose contact, the gun was held against the skin but not actively pressed into the skin, short distance, a foot away, long distance, more than five feet, and so on. The bullet wound will also change depending on the angle trajectory. All of this to say, it's absolutely possible for someone to shoot themselves in the back of the head, but that wound would most likely be either contact or a loose contact, and it would exhibit features indicating as such. Not having a chance to see the actual wound, it would be hard to say if the wound fit the story. Okay. Moving on, people absolutely turn away from the gun when they shoot themselves in the head. I don't care how badass you are, you're going to flinch. But why on earth would anyone put the gun to the back of their own head, then turn away? As far away as you would have in order to make it happen. You wouldn't know whether or not you had the angle right, 
and the bullet might go sideways and come out your ear. Exactly. Yeah, which, we were talking which would about. be terrifying. Yeah, no, fuck no. I mean, I would suppose that there are people who are that stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I wouldn't say good old Tim was a great decision maker, but still. <laughs> I don't think he did that, yeah. Grace, I'm fucking obsessed with oh you. Oh my god, you're amazing. So, yeah, you can shoot yourself in the back of the head, but why would you want to? Unless, of course, you wanted to make it look like you were murdered in order to fuck with someone. Now, for that caveat, I have seen a few suicides that initially look like a homicide. And I've seen some really amazing suicide mechanisms. Monique, I think you were the one who mentioned this. But yeah, I have been on a scene where this guy was an engineer computer programmer, and he rigged up a whole elaborate machine that connected his computer to a firing mechanism (gasps) on his rifle. The computer had been programmed to generate a random timer. (gasps) When the timer went off, the mechanism tripped and fired the gun. The dude then took a couple sleeping pills and laid down in front of the gun and went to sleep. Because the timer was random, he didn't know when it was coming, and boom, brains everywhere. Why didn't he just overdose on sleeping pills? Why didn't he just shoot himself? Because he was a techie? He was showing off? Who knows? Can you imagine? I have not reacted during this entire time because my face... Not audibly reacting. Not audibly reacting. Um, I am freaking the fuck... I'm, first of all, inordinately excited about this whole situation. And I should... That's a lot of planning. Very clearly not be. It is a lot of planning. like a game. (laughs) But I, like, kind of weirdly get it. Because killing yourself with sleeping pills is not always... It's not as peaceful as they make it look in the movies. Fact, yes. And it's also very possible that it's not going to be effective and somebody could find you in that time and save you because it's going to take you way longer to die from sleeping pills. And then put you like in like a psych ward for a bit. Yes. Observation, which I'm guessing is probably not what you would want. Yes. So obviously he wanted to be effective and he knew that the gun would be effective, but he probably like i mean was a chicken shit and didn't want to do it himself like kind of yeah it's a lot it's a lot to take on yourself so that seemed weirdly like the most impersonal way to kind of set it up but to know you were going to be effective yeah i kind of weirdly get it i weirdly get where he's coming from it's definitely interesting it's definitely one of the record books i would never it that it never would have occurred to me that somebody would kill themselves that way I feel like I would do, I would take that energy and do literally anything else. Literally anything else. Yes. Again, return on investment. (laughs) Right? It doesn't seem good in this case. That was one of the craziest fucking things I've ever heard though. And I like, thank you so much, Grace, for that little tidbit. Because like, where else would I have heard that? I don't think anywhere. I don't think that's. No, totally. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Oh. we we got more to the email. Oh my God. Of course we do. Of course we do. Because Grace Grace is amazing. amazing. I've heard of other scenes in which people rig up a gun So it would go off and shoot them when someone else walked in the room. (gasps) Okay. Savage. That is savage. I had one scene in which we figured out that a girl had actually garroted herself (gasps) with her own shoelaces. Seriously, the determination, resourcefulness, and creativity of of suicidal people can be utterly astonishing. But in all of these scenes, we exhausted every other possibility before we ever considered suicide. I never would have started out assuming a GSW gunshot wound. I'm smart. There you go. (laughs) To the back of the head was a suicide. 
nor would any of my colleagues or the police I work with. Why the Belize police didn't immediately arrest her is baffling. Incidentally, before I forget, you mentioned it in this episode, and I'm compelled to say, gunshot residue isn't a thing. What? What? Well, correction on my end, gunshot residue isn't really a thing, guys. Just kidding. It's pretty much been debunked in the forensic world. Oh, shit. If you handle a gun, you're going to have gunshot residue on your hands. If you're in a room where a gun was fired, you might have gunshot residue on you. And yeah, warm rain could make a test inconclusive. It's not considered a forensically significant test anymore, and no one does it. Same thing with taking liver temps on the dead. But that's another email. XOXO, Grace. Okay, so- Is that for time of death? Yeah, I guess so. I guess. I don't. Interesting. I don't know. I apparently didn't even know about gunshot. Okay, so it's gunshot residue exists. Obviously, it's just that its presence doesn't necessarily indicate Me, that the gun that was, was fired by, by that, that person. person. Correct. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say, there's no such thing as gunshot residue. Where have I been fucking living? Dateline. What have you what done? Have you told me. Yes, you liars. <laughs> no. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you, as always, Grace. Deeply fascinating. Speaking of fucking knowledge, we're obsessed with you. My God, so obsessed. Also, BT Dubs got a lot of DMs that people are splooshing over Henry. (gasps) Girl, double sploosh over Henry. Yep. I am fucking here for it. Yeah, so uh, you can have that on your water cooler break. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you could tell Henry there's a bunch of (laughs) girls in New York. There's a Henry fan club. For real, though. (laughs) For real. I kind of can't handle it. Can we get shirts with his face on it? Like, would you be okay with that? Or I mean, I'm here for okay. it. Yes. Yes. Grace. Uh-huh. Grace, <laughs> fuck. Uh, that's, that's everything on my end. Oh, shit. I didn't have anything on my end, except for my correction about gunshot residue, which I was informed of. That was a real-time ago. correction. That was a real-time correction that I was informed of, <laughs> which I love it. I have not, I have yet to have someone actually correct me about something. Hard-hitting and, yeah. to the moment news fuck yeah i love an unexpected correction right yeah especially since it's not like mm, well actually oh no i will take a correction from grace any day because she's like hey fun she knows fact. what the fuck time it by is by the way yeah yeah and i also i don't feel dumb when she tells me things so no That's we're fine. just like just keep hanging out with us yeah <laughs> keep thinking we're cool grace thank you because <laughs> you're like the coolest the coolest ah uh. so do you have a spooky unexpected what the fuck story Actually, that was a really great way to put it. Yeah. So, yeah. I do. I do. Because I'm psychic. You are psychic. A little bit. Not a lot. A little so, I don't know if you remember, but several weeks ago, it was right after we finished recording the podcast, I sent you an article from The New Yorker. Uh-huh. Yeah. About... Dyatlov. Dyatlov, baby. Fuck yeah. Where, basically, they said... They figured it they out. They figured it out. I think I still have like two pages left of that article because it's the longest. Do you article. really? It's a really long article. It's a really long article. It's really great though. It is really great. But it was like, it wasn't an avalanche, it was a shelf. Just kind of like an avalanche, but not really. Basically. And I was like, oh, huh. Basically. Yes. So, <laughs> as Monique said, it was So not... Amy doesn't have to do her story now. I, I don't have to do my you. story. She just basically, <laughs> she, yeah, she basically knocked it out of the park on that one. <laughs> Shit, Quality I'm content. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> that means I don't have to come up with a true crime story off the top of my head. Right now. Fuck immediately. Okay. <laughs> so for those of you who may not have seen the New Yorker article, long story short, 
it wasn't an avalanche. It was like an avalanche adjacent incident. So basically they pick a spot on the mountain, which they offered a little bit of shelter, but where they sheltered was this thing called a wind slab. Mm. They're on this little slope. They're protected mainly, but a snow slab detached from the slope above buried most of the tent and pinned down the occupants, which caused some of their injuries. Then in a panic because they thought there was an avalanche coming, they all got the fuck out of the tent, which was the correct thing to do, went down the mountain in the dark. Then when they realized, oh fuck, an avalanche isn't really coming, we need to go back to the tent. It was dark. They got lost. They couldn't find their way back. I feel like the weirdest thing that no one could really find an explanation for was always the radiation radiation, to me. So apparently that had a very straightforward explanation that when I read it, I was just like, how the fuck did that not come up in literally anything else before now? Because it's so, it makes so much sense and just nobody brought it up ever. Because it's Soviet stuff and they just lie about everything. So it, it's, it almost feels more logical that they were covering something they were up, up to and something. It was, it was a lie. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things they suggested was that uh, the mantles used in camp lanterns at the time did contain small amounts of the radioactive element thorium. Oh. However, uh. even more pertinent... The expedition took place less than two years after the world's third worst nuclear accident after Chernobyl Chernobyl and Fukushima, which occurred at the Mayak nuclear complex in September of 1957. A tank of radioactive waste exploded and a radioactive plume some 200 miles long spread northward. One of the men at Dyatlov had worked at the facility. And that shit sticks around for fucking ever. Forever. And help with the cleanup of it. Oh, well, fuck. So, obviously. Yeah. And another one of them came from a village in the contaminated zone. Okay. So. So that's why two of them had traces of radioactivity. And basically everything else could be explained by this wind slab, this snow slab, like, falling on them and crushing them. And it's, like, a very broad pressure. So it doesn't look externally like you have a lot of injuries but it's an incredible amount of force yeah like they had i think it's set up to like a thousand pounds of force on their like pressure on their bodies so they like basically like kind of said this is like a closed case now Mm -hmm. so that's what they want you to believe that's what they want you to believe obviously (laughs) because it's a conspiracy so in honor of them solving the diatlov pass incident if you want to believe it's solved I'm going to give you another bizarre Russian hiking mystery to keep you up at night. Yes! Ready? Yes! Amazing. So, sources, dyatlovpass.com, kp.ru, which is like a Russian news site. Oh, yeah. I don't, do you know that? Yes. I was like, I don't know how reputable of a news site that is. I Uh, don't either, but I I know it to be to be a site. Amazing. Obviously, KP stands for really long words in Russian that <laughs> I've decided I'm going to make this story really easy on myself. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to like wild west this thing and I'm going to pronounce it how I'm going to pronounce it. And if I fuck it up, apologies. Listeners in Russia, because we have them. Oh yeah, shit. Apologies. Apologies. It's going to be bad. And DM us with a voice memo of, uh, of how like how I'm actually supposed to say it and not in this horrible backwoods Florida way that I'm going <laughs> to... That I'm going to say it. Just know that 
we don't think we're nailing it with the names. Oh, no, no, no. And I'm we're and aware. I'm going to refer to everybody by their first name just to make my life easier. Because yeah, totally. That's the kind of mood I'm in today. So kp.ru, uh, medium.com, Reddit, and Wikipedia. So first I should say there isn't a ton of information out there about this because it turns out it wasn't actually that widely reported on. Mm. And most of the information I could find is either translated from Russian or based on a Russian translation. And sometimes there's conflicting information or it's just like worded weirdly and you kind of have to like puzzle out what the fuck yeah. that means. Also, the Soviets are sneaky as fuck. That's why everyone thought Dyatlov Pass was then what we thought it was yeah. forever. Yes. Which people thought it was fucking everything. Yeah. Yetis, UFOs, the military, all yeah. the things. All of those things seem plausible. And it's like, Mother Nature, bitch. The scariest bitch Maybe. of all. Right? Facts, Monique. Mm, yeah. Don't fuck with her. Do not fuck with her. She will win I mean, every time. That's all we've done to our planet, but whatever. Oh. That's one of those lessons that it takes you like 87,000 times very to true. learn. And you're still probably not going to. <laughs> Here's the thing. Even though we fucked her over hard, she's still going to win in the end. Oh, yeah. House always wins. House always wins. There Vegas you go. Rolls. Absolutely. We're all fucked, that's guys. We're all fucked. That's but that's okay. You now know. you know. And you can just live your life based on the knowledge that you're fucked. It's great. I was like, nihilism. It's gotten me through many a situation. So it's known as the Hamar Daban incident or the Buryatia incident, and it took place in August of 1993. Oh, shit. So significantly after Dyatlov. Yeah. It involved six young hikers and their experienced instructor who had planned a trip to explore the Hamer Daban mountain range, a popular hiking spot in southern Siberia's Buryatia region just north of Mongolia. The leader of the tourist group was 41-year-old Ludmila Korovona. She was a survivalist as well as an experienced hiking instructor and was known for her particular brand of tough love while teaching, frequently training her students under less than ideal conditions to better prepare them for any worst case scenarios in the real world. Like a good Soviet. There you go. Yeah. Life is hard. And then you die. Yep. However, her students seemed to appreciate her slightly unconventional training and said her methods taught them confidence as well as crucial hiking skills. She had trained with a group of six students she was taking on the trip before, and while Ludmilla was their instructor, she was also very close with all of them, having known some of them and their families for years. 23-year-old mm. Alexander Kryson, who went by Sasha, had known Ludmilla the longest, and she considered him like a son to her. Mm. The other hikers on the trip were 24-year-old Tatiana Filipenko, 19-year-old Denis Sabachkin, 17-year-old Valentino Utochenko, who went by Valia, 16-year-old Victoria Salasova, and 15-year-old Tamir Bapanov. So while most of these hikers seemed incredibly young, they had all been hiking for sport for years by that point and were fairly experienced in their own right by that time. And they had all hiked with Ludmilla before they set out on this trip. So they're, they're super experienced. They know. Yes. For being like 15 years old at the youngest. 15? Holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, 15 is the youngest one. 24 is the oldest. So they're like yeah, but the, kids, but it's one of those things like they're kids who like grew up. This is the Soviet doing Union. This. You come out of your mom and they're like, get your fucking stirrups with a little pickaxe. Yeah, get your shit ready. <laughs> they don't fuck around the Soviet Union. We're waiting Union. for you at the fucking top, dude. Let's go. That's why the U.S. was like, that's the Cold War. They were like, fuck, they're gonna fuck our shit up <laughs> for real. Soviets don't give a fuck. Soviets do not give a fuck. So yeah, in no, the best way. Obviously. So no, like a fifteen-year-old would be like, I've been doing this for fifteen <laughs> years. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette while I does it, it's fine. 
<laughs> right. They all smoke cigarettes. <laughs> like in the saint. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Now, this wasn't just some spontaneous, ill-prepared trip. LaMilla and the others had been planning this trip for six months. They were going to be one of three tourist groups hiking in the area at the time, and they planned to travel about 70 to 80 kilometers, which is just under 50 miles. Fuck. For those of you in the States. And they were going to do this over the course of five to six days. LaMilla... So that's like, that's 10 miles a day? 10 miles a day, which is not bad hiking-wise. It's like very... I feel like that's a very normal hiking amount for like experienced hikers... I'm sure. You're not a hiker. Not a very... Yeah. No, I'm no. not. I'm not outdoorsy. No. No. If I I'm think out- that's pretty manageable, though. Like, if I'm outside, it's like a picnic with booze. <laughs> I mean, yes, please, yeah. too. <laughs> I was like, I'll also go on a hike, too. I don't mind. Fuck it. Ludmilla had planned the route with a clear timetable for them so they could meet up with one of the other hiking groups led by her daughter. And I read two accounts, one that her daughter's name was natalie and one that her daughter's name was natasha so i'm just gonna call her nat because i feel like that covers both of those scenarios nailed it thank you i'm trying so hard (laughs) (laughs) you're nailing it again making the names easier on myself here so they were going to meet up with one of the hiking groups led by her daughter nat on the trip as the more experienced group lamilla's team was there to provide backup should nat run into any trouble on her hike uh, Nat is 16, by the way, and Jesus leading the Christ. other group. So again, this is like, yes, these are young people, but they're like very experienced hikers. Yeah. The two groups didn't have walkie-talkies or a way to directly communicate, but they had scheduled a place to meet up with one another to check in during the trip. Right. LaMilla requested a weather station forecast in advance and was assured that the weather would be good during their trip. The team set out on August 2nd, and the first two days of their hike went extremely well. They pushed themselves and ended up making great time up to Retranslator Peak. They spent the day collecting and drying golden root, which is an edible perennial flowering plant traditionally used to treat anxiety and depression. Oh, shit. Both the leaves and the shoots can be eaten either raw or cooked. And according to Wikipedia, quote, in Russia and Scandinavia, golden root has been used for centuries to cope with the cold Siberian climate and stressful life. It is also used to increase physical endurance and resistance to high altitude sickness, but the scientific evidence for such benefits is weak. End quote. So more like old wives' tale, like home remedy stuff. Yes, yes. I real real talk. I live for fucking home remedy. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I use fucking vinegar for anything I can use vinegar for. That's why I don't have a wine stain couch. There remedy. you go. Just saying. So they're collecting all of this root and they're drying it. And since she was also a survivalist, it's not surprising that Lamilla was known for teaching her students how to forage and identify edible plants in the area. Oh. So. She knows what the fuck time it is. She knows what the fuck time it is. Yeah. Feeling accomplished and ahead of schedule, the group set up camp for the night. The next morning on August 4th, as they were beginning their descent, the weather took a turn for the worse. And unfortunately, they suddenly found themselves dealing with on and off again, freezing rain and snow <gasps> showers. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Terrifying. And I read several accounts that said they basically got hit with a cyclone, which if you're not familiar, cyclones and hurricanes and typhoons, fun fact, are all actually the same the weather same phenomenon. It's yes. just where, where they are. Facts. Yes. yes. So basically this is like hiking in the mountains and then getting hit by a fucking hurricane. So they're walking along the treeless alpine zone. So there's no trees or anything to block this rain. And the group is immediately soaked through, as you can imagine. It's a fucking hurricane. I literally could not imagine being in the middle of a freezing hurricane. No. God, no. 
Because I've lived, obviously, living in Florida through many a hurricane. Many hurricanes, yeah. But I'm, I'm indoors. Like, I'm just kind of like, well, hope my house is still standing. But other than that, I'm not, like, tits deep outside in it. No. Fuck no. I mean, I can't imagine. This sounds terrible. No. It, yes. It is terrible. And it's going to get worse. So Lubilla's probably like, it's a flesh wound because she's <laughs> You're fine. fucking Russian as fuck. Dirt on it. So they were wet and cold, and since everything they were carrying is waterlogged now, they're quickly tiring out from yeah, the added the weight. weight. Yes, exactly. And you can't like chuck it because it's your supplies it's all that your you shit. Need. It's your fucking sleeping bag and your fucking camp stove and all this fucking oh, all your fuck. food. Like, yes, exactly. Oh, this is so terrible. This is why I don't. Go don't, in the woods. Don't go. Ha- don't go hiking, guys. Oh, Very dangerous. Lamilla could tell that her group was exhausted, so she had them stop and make camp. Now, it obviously made sense to set up camp early and try to wait out the storm. But what seemed slightly unusual, even to other hiking experts, was that she had them set up camp in an exposed slope, despite the fact that where they had camped was just a thirty-minute hike to a special platform that could be used as an emergency shelter. Allowing them to hunker down from the rain. No. So the first thing I'm going to say is it's raining. And if you've been in really hard rain, visibility is not usually great. So there is a chance that it wasn't. She got lost. Like she didn't It wasn't obvious like how close they were or whatever. And it was just like, look, everyone's super exhausted. Like we'd have to just cut this now. They're not going to make it another 30 minutes. Yeah. Who knows? So instead, they set up two tents on a bare slope, and while they were unable to build a fire that night, they were still reportedly in good spirits. The tents provided them with some shelter, but it rained heavily throughout the night, and it didn't completely protect them from the rain. By the morning, even their sleeping bags were wet. Oh, and that's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, well, no, you you said it earlier that they've been playing this for six months, no? Yeah. So it's not one of those things of like, Oh, gosh, it's such a beautiful day. Why don't we go hiking this mountain? Like, you can't really do that. You have to do it. You have to plan way in advance. Exactly. And at that point, you have no idea what the conditions are going to be. And you also don't want to tap out because you're like, we've been planning this for six fucking months. Exactly. We're just going to fucking barrel through. Because yes. if not, it's going to be another fucking six months before we can plan the next one. Yes. And it's it's summer. It's supposed to be nice. This is supposed to be like the nice season to go hiking. Again, they did check the weather before they went. Like it was supposed to be good, clear. They did their due diligence. Like it's just a freak storm kind of that they fucking got caught up in. <sighs> yep. So like I said, by the morning, even their sleeping bags were wet. Oh my God. Fortunately though, they were at least able to make a fire finally and all ate breakfast together before they headed out to meet up with Nat's tour group. Since they had made good time on the first leg of the trip, despite the setback of the rain, they fully expected to make it to their rendezvous with Nat. But later that day, when Nat and her group reached the meeting spot, there was no sign of her mother's group. Oof. They waited as long as they could for them to arrive, but when they never showed, Nat was forced to continue on. Knowing her mother was an experienced survivalist, Nat wasn't worried and instead just assumed that the bad weather had put them off schedule and that she'd meet up with them at the end of their respective hikes. I'm gonna guess this doesn't go great. Doesn't go great. And... I can only imagine what that was like for Nat. <gasps> Chills and heartbreak. Chills and heartbreak, indeed. Five days later, on August 10th, a group of kayakers saw a lone girl standing on the shore of the Snezananya River, yelling and waving her <gasps> arms. 
The kayakers said they knew immediately that she was in trouble. Yeah. When they came ashore, she rushed to one of the rescuers and just started sobbing against their chest. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is why I don't fucking do any of this. Oh my god. She became hysterical trying to tell them what happened to her and was in a state of shock by the time they managed to get her to the rescue service in Slidoyanka. Now, I came across a couple of sources that said she didn't speak for several days <gasps> after she was rescued. But I honestly, because of the trauma, yeah, I honestly don't know how true that is. From the other articles I read, it seemed like she spoke briefly to the people who found her before they took her to the rescue station, where she did give a report of what happened to her and the rest of the group. Now, whether this means that the trip to the station took a few days and she didn't really speak during this time, right? She could have been like catatonic and then like coast yeah. Eventually. So I'm not really sure, but some. Sources did say that she didn't talk for basically days on end and just, like, was non-responsive, basically. Holy fuck. Regardless, the young girl finally tells them that she's 17-year-old Valentina, a.k.a. Valia Udachenko, and that she is the only surviving member of Lamilla's tour group. As for what happened to the other six members of the group, Valia said it was like something out of a horror movie. <gasps> Like this, oh, I like can't. Girl. <laughs> Full stop. There's nothing else to add to that. I can't. It's going to be your worst nightmare. Oh my God. Fuck. Okay. This is already my worst nightmare and I don't even know. Oh my God. Okay. The home alone face is happening right now. It is, that is, that is accurate. According to her, on the morning of August 5th, the day they planned to meet up with the other group of hikers, things immediately took a turn for the worse. Mm-mm. It was very cold at the elevation they had camped at, so after breakfast, Lamilla ordered them to pack up their things and start descending. But there were strong winds that caused them to slip down the slope instead of walking. She said they had only been hiking for a few minutes when suddenly the oldest and strongest of the male hikers, Sasha, who was at the back of their group, started screaming. <gasps> when the others turned to see what was wrong, they saw him foaming at the mouth and what bleeding heavily fuck? from his eyes, ears, <laughs> and nose. In seconds, he fell to the ground, convulsing, then went still. I know. Can you imagine? Okay, guys. I look like I'm on a roller coaster. I'm literally gripping the arms of my chair, and I am pushed all the way back into the seat with my mouth ajar. What the fuck? Is this like an uh, elevation thing? Possibly. Okay. Maybe. We're going to explore what's happening. I just need to add another what the fuck in there before you do. Lamilla rushed to his side and tried to get him to regain consciousness. The woman was understandably distraught because not only was this one of her students whose safety she was responsible for. It's the oldest and strongest, no? Yes. <gasps> this was also a young man she had known for many years who she considered to be like a son yeah. to her. In a matter of moments, though, the strongest member of their group lay dead. Holy fuck. Yep. So that went down very quickly. Real fast. Holy shit. Lamilla felt for a pulse, but Valia said you could already tell from the blank look in his eyes that he was gone. Lamilla directed the others to continue their descent while she stayed with the young man's body. Horrified by the loss at one of their own, but determined to follow their leader's orders, the five remaining hikers continued to make their way down the slope. But they hadn't made it very far when they heard Lamilla calling out for help. <gasps> they rushed back only to see that she was suffering from the same what the fuck? terrifying symptoms that Sasha had experienced before he died. She was frothing at the mouth while her eyes and nose were pouring blood. This is like 
a nightmare I didn't know I had till this <gasps> fucking moment. Right? Okay, I need to get LASIK eye surgery because oh, and this my, is, oh, no. my eyes are fucked and I won't do the finger in the eye for the contacts. Oh, finger in the eye all day. NBD. I cannot. Like the eye, the eye shit, oh. I can't do the eye shit. So you being like, oh, there's just blood gushing out of yep. your eyes. It's like, it's, it's hitting a primal thing in me that's very not pleasant. And I'm not remotely low-key freaking the fuck out about it. I'm no. just like full-on freaking the fuck I out I mean, about that's it. fine. That's valid. I mean, you... Bleeding from your eyes isn't good, so you don't want to be doing that. So Suboptimal. That's, yeah, that is a very human visceral response to be like, that's, I know that's not good. That's never okay. That's never like, oh, it's just something the human body does. Even with Catholic shit where they're like, oh, like the like, Virgin Mary's like, the like, statue's crying blood. Yeah where, yeah, where you're like, what the, f-? like, even that, that's supposed to be like a miracle or whatever the fuck. I'm like, is Ew, it though? No. I'm not into this. <laughs> Someone get her a tissue. I'm not about Like, it. why the fuck is this happening? For real. No, thank you. Yes. The young hikers watched in horror as their fearless leader convulsed, then collapsed on top of Sasha. Oh my god. Valia then watched as everything descended into chaos, and the others immediately began developing the same symptoms that killed Sasha oh and Lamont. The other Can you fucking imagine that that's your shit? You're like, oh, we're gonna go hiking, this is gonna be so nice, it's a summer day, great, great, and then literally it's like everyone falls into this yes. what the fuckery and you're like what the fuck is actually happening and it's like everyone's collapsing quickly and it's like very clearly like happening to everyone so it's like is this a thing we're a all contagion yeah, or whatever inhaling? is this a toxin we're all getting like what the fuck is i would be flipping the fuck out i wouldn't even do anything this is where i do the I freeze run. where i would just be like <gasps> i wouldn't even right? run. i would just like be there in a panic and then sun would go down and i'd be like so i guess no one's getting up <laughs> I'm just Fuck. here by myself now. I'm here by myself. Fuck. I guess this is how I'm going to die. That's a bummer. Wish I would have gotten laid one more time. Guess cool. not. Hope someone finds me and that I don't look too fucked for my open casket <laughs> funeral. Cute. Yeah. Winged eyeliner for days. Whoever finds me, that's all I want. I want tits up and out, pin up hair, winged eyeliner. Noted. You guys have been warned. If I'm still around, I will make sure that happens. I mean... You don't drink as much as I do, so I'm going to guess you're probably going to outlive me. Uh, and you're know. younger. Eh, who knows? Who knows? That's, that's right. That's the mystery of life. You never know when your ticket's going to get punched. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the other two girls of the group, Titania and Victoria, succumbed next, with Timur not far behind. Timur and Victoria both ran while Tatiana grabbed her throat as though she couldn't breathe. After she collapsed, she slowly crawled over to a nearby rock and slammed her head against it until she went limp. What the fuck? I don't know. This is literally what horror... I look, I'm literally looking at how I spice <laughs> the fuck. Screaming? I love it. No, scream away, girl. Um, this is literally... The stuff of nightmares. Yes. And horror movies. Yes. When she said it was something out of a horror movie, like, she was not exaggerating. Like, I cannot imagine watching this go down and, and being okay for one day afterwards. This is the happening, but not trash and real. I don't think I've seen that. I don't know if that's the happening. Wasn't that the one with the M. Night Shyamalan with the plants? I don't think I saw Did that. I just spoil that for you? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I had no intention that. of watching it, so that's okay. I mean, no spoilers. spoiler, people start killing themselves randomly, and it's the plants enacting their revenge. Oh, is that what it is? M. Night Shyamalan strikes again. That's hysterical. Yes. That's hysterical. 
But this is real. This is real, and this is horrifying. Valia tried to drag Victoria back to the group, but the distressed girl bit Valia in Holy her panic. shit! Yes. So she's, like, rabying out. Kind of. What the fuck? Yeah. Victoria and Timmer both collapsed while they were running and died throwing up blood, <gasps> clawing at their throats, <gasps> and tearing their clothes off. At that point, Dennis and Valia were the only two members of their group left who, while traumatized, were still composed enough to start making their way down away from the others. That's the fucking Soviet composure. I'm just like, I would flip the, I mean, I don't even know. I would be so fucking traumatized. I have I don't think I could move for like hours. Right? Yeah. Not be like, fuck, I guess we got to make camp. That wouldn't even fucking occur to me. No. I'm not a survivalist. I'm not, I'm not surviving the zombie apocalypse. I don't know if we've talked about this. I'm absolutely, I'm making it max 20 minutes. Then I'm like, I'm good. Okay, thanks. It'll be me. It, like, zombie apocalypse would happen. And, be like, <gasps> and that's it. I'm gone. They got <laughs> Done. me. They got me. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Cool. Thanks. I don't really blame you for that. I just know what my strengths are. Yeah. And survivalism is not that. I can give you a dick joke. That's okay. If that'll keep me alive, yeah. cool. If not, I'm shit out of luck. <laughs> I have very few life skills. I mean, I have always said I was going to tap out at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse too. I was just going to go to a hospital and find the good stuff. And I was going to go quietly to sleep. Nighty night for I Amy. Mean, at least you're choosing that. Me, I, It would just be like, <gasps> petrified. Eaten by a zombie. Eaten mid-petrification. Oh, all right. I mean, that's most likely going to happen to me too. I'm not going to I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to get the good drugs. Like, no, bitch, you're going to eat eaten on the way to the hospital. You're not even going to make it two but feet see, out of your door. You're at least going to try something. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, <gasps> and then my brain's going to turn off and be like, you know, this is a lot. <laughs> so, so we're just going to put a pin in this and address it later. I would be the type. That's how I process. I would be the type it who doesn't. is like in my house just for like, a month and never left and then looked out and was like, wait, is something going on? Did something happen? <laughs> Actually, that's the most likely situation. Like, shit. <laughs> I haven't been following the news. And it's like, Johnny didn't come home. Damn it. I missed out on something big, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> was I supposed to be somewhere? Fuck. <laughs> it's too relatable. That's actually probably how that's going to go. Right? That's pretty spot on. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So... Dennis and Valia start making their way down the hill towards the tree line, away from the others. Dennis told Valia to grab the essentials from her backpack and get down the mountain. She had just taken her sleeping bag out of her pack when Dennis himself collapsed, convulsing, and bleeding heavily. Question. Yes. Is it possible that Valia is a, like, vicious serial killer? Ooh! Hadn't entertained that. Oh, shit, really? That's a very interesting theory. From the tippy top, that's where I was at. There you go, okay. Shit. Awesome. She's starting young, so also your true crime this week, so your brain's already I am on it. True crime and yeah. also they always start young. <laughs> That's very true. Maybe not on people, but they do always start young. They do, yes. They're not like at 40, like when everyone else is getting like a, a convertible and like a 20-year-old girlfriend. They're like, you know what? You think I, I think I need a life change. <laughs> I kinda wanna kill some people. I think I want to just start eating people. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about that? I'm gonna try it. Yeah. See, try it out for a week, see how I feel. No. Not usually, not usually go to. No. 
Knowing she couldn't do anything for him, she ran down the mountain and into the woods with only her sleeping bag and the clothes she was wearing. Oof. Despite the fact that it was still storming with wind strong enough to knock trees down in the area, she was able to find shelter under a rocky outcropping and tuck herself into her sleeping bag to stay warm throughout the night. When she woke up the next morning, the weather was calm, but Valian knew her ordeal was far from over. <gasps> she knew that in order to make it back to civilization, she needed supplies, and that meant hiking back up to where the others had collapsed. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, yep. See, why would you do this when you could live somewhere where there's a CVS on the corner? <laughs> Not everyone can make it out of Russia. I mean, facts. Yeah. Yes, Russia's tough. I've definitely been there. And I'm absolutely not equating my tourist trip to what it's like to live in Russia. I'm aware that those are two radically different things. But there's also living in, like, not the mountains. Yeah. And in, like, a Russian city mouse. A city mouse. Or a town mouse. A village mouse, if you will. Yeah. Not in the fucking frozen tundra in Russia. That's very true. I mean, this is a vacation spot for them, technically. Like, this is their, this is what they do on vacation. So I believe they actually Girl, do have you heard of Bermuda? Live in t- what the fuck? This sounds fucking terrible. Oh my fuck. This is my worst nightmare. I mean, it's not great. Nobody wants to go on the trip where all your friends suddenly start bleeding and foaming at the mouth and no, dying. But but the thing is, is there are people who would go on this trip assuming this wouldn't happen. That's true. Whereas I... Don't live in that reality. I'm like, best case scenario, Yeti's getting us. Yeah. Or best case scenario, we all just die of altitude and frostbite. Thank you, no. I'd rather, I'll meet you at the bar at the end of <laughs> okay, it. I'll stay at the lodge, thanks. I mean, that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm on board with that. When she made it back up to the bodies, she saw that none of them had moved, and she <sighs> knew they were all dead. What, did it not give it away? The, with the foaming at the mouth and the bleeding from the eyes? Oh, that pretty much gave it away, yeah. Yeah. So, she closed their eyes. Ugh. She took food, a compass, a map, and any other supplies she thought she might need, then covered the bodies of her friends with a waterproof tarp. I think is probably the best way to put this. I think it's like a tarpaulin, which is what they use yeah. to like make tents out of. The translation said cellophane awning, which didn't sound right at all. And huh. I didn't really know what to do with that information. So that's yeah, kind both. of my best guess for the situation here. Traumatized and still suffering from severe shock, she started out along the ridge till she came across an abandoned relay tower. She sheltered there for the night and in the morning saw the power lines heading down the mountain from the tower. She followed them down the mountain, thinking they would bring her to civilization, but when she reached the houses the wires had led her to, she found them abandoned. (gasps) Without the power lines to follow, she instead managed to navigate herself to the Shizana River. She knew if she followed it downstream that she would eventually find people, Mm. but realized that she couldn't walk along the rocky shores or wade in the water because the current was so strong. (gasps) By that time, Valia had a bad cold with a fever and a hacking cough and started to believe that she too would die on this trip. Oh my Fucking God. Preparing herself for death, she said she didn't want to die dirty and ugly, so she bathed herself in the cold water of the river and dressed in clean clothes from her pack. She washed everything, including her sleeping bag, and hung it to dry. She admitted that she barely remembers the four days she walked alone after witnessing the deaths of her entire group, but said it was if someone was leading her all that time, and she believed that she had a guardian angel looking out for her. Shortly after she had resigned herself to death near the end of her fourth day on her own, 
Valya saw the kayakers and realized that her deal was finally over. Ugh. Despite her report to police, an official search wasn't conducted until August 24th, a full two weeks after Valya had been found. By the time they found the bodies, decomposition had already set in and it had advanced due to the greenhouse effect caused by Valya covering the bodies oh. with that tarp tent yeah. thing, tarpaulin, whatever you want to call it. The search party for the deceased groups described it as a terrible scene. Mm. The bodies were already swollen when they found them. Oh, fuck. They had no eyes, <gasps> and in the empty sockets and parted mouths, worms were crawling. Oh, my God. Fuck. They Ugh. noticed almost all of the bodies were dressed in thin leotards, and three were barefoot. The bodies were helicoptered out and subjected to autopsies to determine their cause of death. The official autopsy report concluded that they had all died of hypothermia, except for Lamilla, who had apparently died of a heart attack. All of them had signs of bruised lungs, and protein deficiency due to malnutrition was listed as a contributing factor to their deaths. The deaths mm. were ruled accidental. Despite what seemed like a clear-cut answer, this tragedy still puzzled investigators and rescuers, especially in light of what Valia described. How could a bunch of young, strong people die in the summer at a relatively low mountain altitude in what seemed like a matter of seconds? Valia poisoned all of them. You know. That's what I'm going with. It's not, it's not the most far-fetched I think it's theory. less far-fetched than people died of hypothermia with blood coming out of their eyes. So that's what I thought, too. We're going to go into yes. that a little bit. Yes. And then we'll explore some other theories that some people have have posited yes please so while it was august and temperatures were considered warm with the group soaked from the unexpected cyclone uh -huh. it's completely possible that they still succumb to hypothermia sure according to the national weather service people can experience hypothermia in relatively cool but not freezing air temperatures anywhere from like 30 to 50 degrees fahrenheit particularly it's so fucking cold it's pretty cold yeah particularly if they're and if you're wet Wet, yep, such as from rain, sweat, or submersion in cold water. The body loses heat about 25 times faster in water than in air, so it's really not that unusual. Sure. Valia said that they were wet and cold, and it seemed like they had been for most of the night. The hypothermia would account for the paradoxical undressing they seemed to experience while they suffered convulsions and collapsed. However, I'm sure most of us are not really associating convulsions and collapsing with hypothermia necessarily. I have not known convulsing to be part of hypothermia. Could be wrong, because what the fuck do I know? Grace? Grace! Let a bitch know. Yes. Let us know. I do have one more thing to add on that account, which, again, if you know more information, tell me. Because, so, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, and that's really more in the biology field than the chemistry field, so that's not at my forte. Well, even the convulsing, I mean, and maybe you get into it, and I'm just jumping the gun. Do your eyes fucking bleed when you have hypothermia? No. But. Yeah, get into it. Let a bitch know. I will let you know. As for the inability to breathe, foaming from the mouth, and blood, according to Valia, she believes the most likely explanation is that all six suffered a pulmonary edema as a direct result of the hypothermia. A pulmonary edema is a condition commonly known as wet lung and caused by excess fluid in the lungs. Hmm. It's usually caused by a heart condition, but other causes include pneumonia, exposure to certain toxins and drugs, and being at high elevations. Uh-huh. Okay. Symptoms of a pulmonary edema include coughing up blood or bloody froth and feeling of air hunger or drowning. 
Now, I couldn't find anything that specifically said bleeding from the eyes, ears, and mouth was a symptom. But again, I don't really know. And I don't know if that's something that can be exacerbated to that point Mm. through other things with maybe the weather and the conditions they were in or the elevation. What the case is with that? So the only thing that's coming to mind for me, and this is a science fiction movie, so who knows what the fuck, is... It, did you ever watch Event Horizon? I was literally just... The word was, like, coming out of mouth. I was like, she's going to say Event Horizon. Hey, yes, I'm obsessed yes, with you. Yes, yes. Um, that's, like, the... the With the pressure... The pressure, Of yeah. the bleeding of the eyes. I don't know if that's how physiologically that works. Because that's essentially... Like, altitude is different pressure, no? Yeah. Of, like, if that could be correlated... I'm just trying to figure out the bleeding in the eyes because the rest of it I can get on board with. The bleeding in the eyes is very distressing to me. It is very distressing. And there's also the theory that Valia was just traumatized because she had obviously seen all of her comrades collapse. And she's hallucinating slash misremembering? That she's basically misremembering the situation because she... I think you fucking remember. It seems like a traumatic enough experience. blood is coming out of someone's eyes and ears. I would tend to agree. That's a detail you don't really forget like for the rest of your motherfucking life. I thought so. I thought that was pretty spectacular of a detail that that would stick out to you for a very long time and haunt your dreams. But... Again, it's a very traumatic experience. She went through four days by herself in the fucking woods trying to find civilization uh-huh. and be rescued after that. Also very stressful. She supposedly didn't talk for two days. Right. And, according and to some sources. There's so. no reports of when they found the bodies of like blood on the face or out of the ears. Didn't or say any of that, but again, they all collapsed in the rain to begin with. Uh, so okay. like and okay. they had been, you know So if there was it would have been washed. Decomposition. Away. I would assume so. Uh-huh. Through that or through just I mean if they were didn't find them for two weeks after Ooh, she had okay. been found. So I see. Yeah. yeah. And there this was, is nineteen ninety three, so it's not like the peak of technology in forensics. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, there obviously is the theory that Valia just doesn't remember correctly and she's kind of embellishing this whole tale. Because she's a silly woman. I guess the implication would be that she saw the bloody foam of the mouth and then somehow thought that that was also coming from Mm -hmm. like their nose, eyes, ears, something situation. Hallucinating also from like the pressure altitude thing, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I have no idea. I I don't go in the woods or in the heights, so. No, no. The famous journalist and experienced traveler Vladimir Zarov walked along the fateful route alone five years after the tragedy to examine some of the odd choices of the group. For example, many wondered why the group made camp on the slope that night and did not climb to the top where there was a shelter where they could have had firewood and a place to rest, and they would have only have had to continue for 30 minutes more to get there. Right. But the group stopped on a bare slope instead. Vladimir believed this stemmed either from the sheer exhaustion of the hikers Mm -hmm. and Lumilla realizing that they wouldn't make it much further or that the inaccuracy of their map led them to believe it was further away than it was Mm -hmm. because in 93, maps weren't that accurate. They didn't have Google Maps. They didn't give a shit. According to Valia, landmarks weren't visible in the rain, so this is a possible explanation for why they camped in an illogical place in heavy rain. It's also possible that in the coming dusk, Ludmilla simply could not orient herself correctly mm. and see that up the mountain was very clearly a shelter they could get to. 
One theory put forth by one of the rescuers, Yuri Golias, is that Lamilla's particular brand of tough love resulted in the deaths of her students and herself. Uh. According to him, he had known her for a long time and run into her on hikes before this. He said, one time he had seen the students she was with looking haggard and seemed oddly grateful when he and his companions offered them food. Mm. Because of her survivalist leanings, she was apparently known to take students camping with a minimum of food and clothing. Girl. Yuri believes she may have done something similar with this group. As one of the rescuers who investigated the scene, he thought it was suspicious that there was only one can of beans found open at their final campsite. How many and people there was were it in the group? Seven total. Six Girl. students and the instructor. And there were no other wrappers or other indications that they had eaten more than that. He believed they were already depleted when they succumbed to hypothermia. While he ultimately believes that Lyudmila was at fault, he also says he believes she was being punished for harvesting too much golden root. What the fuck? So apparently, it's one of those things, like, you're supposed to respect that region, you're supposed to only take however much you need. And I guess in Lamilla's pack, she had, like, two full bags of dried golden root. So this person's positing a karmic slash supernatural situation? Basically. Just want to make sure I'm following. I mean, the... What he's actually suggesting is that her negligence, basically, her, like, tough love teaching yeah. killed them. But he also... is like, BT dubs, she also did this shit, which was super whack. Basically, yes. He's like, the reason the storm came and got her was because she uh, angered Hamer Debon, which is where they were, uh-huh. this area. Okay. So by taking from... Mother Nature. Mother Nature, like, yes. Oh, Mother Nature was like, you. bitch, I did not tell you could take that much golden root. Cyclone on your ass. Okay. Bottom line. I see. However, his actual rooted in fact rational theory is that she was being way too harsh on them and, and had them super underprepared. Yes. Okay. However, Valia basically after the incident did not talk about this and kind of like disappeared for basically 25 years. Holy shit. And this journalist from the KP article, this KP newspaper, whatever, whatever you would like to call it, website, tracked her down and found her after 25 years and interviewed her about a couple of details that people kept bringing up Mm -hmm. and especially this theory that they were underprepared for this trip, basically. And Valya says absolutely not, basically, that she was a fantastic instructor. They had been planning this trip for six months. And Valia said they ate four times a day and always had hot food. They made a fire, cooked, and also ate snacks on their breaks. They had cereal, milk powder, crackers, stew, carrots, beets, onions, sweets, chocolates. She said their rations were based on 2,400 kilocalories per person per day, which should have been plenty. Yeah. Despite this assurance, Vladimir Zarov believed that the food they ate was only enough fuel for the so-called quote-unquote, external heating of the body and would not have saved them from the cold. Huh. Yes. So do with that information what you will. According to Valia, it was a sufficient explanation that the blood and the convulsing and the foaming at the mouth, all of that all came from a pulmonary edema, which was a direct result of the hypothermia, which is what they were all experiencing. I was going to say diagnosed with, but in the autopsy, you're not really diagnosed which was what listed was as dying by yeah, the cause of death. Which was listed as the cause of death. For those of you who don't think that's a sufficient explanation, we'll go into a few, uh, few more little conspiracy theories for you. So, obviously, 
there's going to be theories that the hikers stumbled on some covert military operations. Gotcha. And were terminated for what they had seen. Damn. The evidence against that obviously being that Valia was left alive. However, some have suggested that she was actually rescued by state security officers who made her sign a non-disclosure agreement, which is supposedly why she moved away from her hometown and, until recently, why she's remained relatively silent about the matter. Not and that she doesn't want to rehash like, the most traumatizing The most thing traumatizing thing where she watched five of her friends and her instructor die. Yeah. Another theory is that the military was testing or had recently tested nerve agents in the area. Mm. Which is not actually the craziest idea. Yeah. There are a group of nerve agents called Novichok agents, which were developed by a state chemical research institute in the Soviet Union and Russia between the years 1971 and 1993. Mm. They are thought to be the deadliest nerve agents to exist, 10 times more deadly than VX and 20 times more deadly than sarin. Oof. Exposure to this gas causes rapid death similar to what the hikers reportedly experienced. The symptoms, as well as their rapid onset, are consistent with death by chemical weaponry, especially the frothing at the mouth mm. and convulsing. The explanation of death could also match with the autopsy results, since contact with nerve agents can cause respiratory distress, and the bruising of the lungs can also be a sign of death by nerve gas. Mm. Cardiac arrest can also be caused by nerve agents, which match Lamilla's cause of death, which was the only one of them- was different. Who was different, yes. Plus- even if they were exposed to a nerve toxin, the cause of death could still be hypothermia. They could have been knocked unconscious or fallen into a coma and then ultimately succumbed to exposure. Hmm. And while perhaps not a nerve agent, some have suggested that they might have consumed water that was contaminated with a toxin of some sort. Hmm. Especially since Lake Baikal, which sits above the mountains and is like very close to where they were hiking. Basically, the mountain yeah. they hiked on was right below that. Is a well-known toxic waste dumping ground. Oh, fuck. This toxin could have incapacitated the hikers, causing them to die from hypothermia hmm. before they succumbed to the toxin itself. Depending on the toxin, it may have not been visible in a standard toxicology report. My theory on that is, if it was enough to poison nearly everyone in this group, why were no other hikers affected by this during this time in hmm. the same area? Yeah. Yeah. Another theory posits that something far more benign poisoned the group of hikers. Since Lovemilla was a known forager who taught the skills to her students, it's possible they found some like mushrooms, poison mushrooms to add to their breakfast that weren't the correct variety. After they ate, the effects of the mushroom poisoning began to take hold as they were walking, causing them to hallucinate and be sick. And while its toxicity is extremely low and overdosing is highly unlikely, overdoses of psilocybin can cause psychosis, convulsions, cardiac arrest, and even send someone into a coma. So I will leave it up to you for what you decide. I'm going to say poisoning slash Valia poison them. She's a prolific serial killer. We don't even fucking know. Oh, shit. All right. My hot take. I'm going to take your hot take. It's one of those things, I guess I don't know enough about a pulmonary edema to know whether no, that's No, I don't know actually... dick about it. Yeah. I don't really know of anything besides, again, the Event Horizon thing where you like bleed from your eyes like that That's and you're very like, distressing to me it's very distressing and yeah this one's gonna kind of like haunt my dreams it's one of those that it seems like it has a very straightforward cut and dried answer but grace what makes you bleed out your eyeballs yeah tell us fuck tell me so i can add it to the irrational fears list we need it on there because 
this is something I irrationally fear. I was not aware that that was a thing other than an event horizon and religious statues. Yeah. Uh, apparently, according to Valia, she had to watch five of her best friends and her instructor all bleed and foam from the mouth and convulse and die within seconds, which is crazy. Mm-mm. So it's maybe not as mysterious to you as Dyatlov Pass, but since they've quote unquote solved that one, I wanted to give you another one to keep you up at night. Mission accomplished. There you go. You now have this to haunt your dreams. Known as the Hamar Daban incident. Bam. Holy fuck. It's a weird one. Maybe not paranormal enough for you unless you're going to believe the cursed by the mountain. I mean, karma's real, I think. Oh, for sure. It needs to be. Otherwise, girl, what the fuck are we doing? What are we doing? But I mean, if it's like bitch you took too many of these fucking roots you know what you did they were the golden roots what did you think was gonna happen yeah they're not the like who gives a fuck about these roots they're the golden roots yeah in the name it's like this is precious thank you how dare you how dare you and that it was a nice day and there was supposed to be no weather and like and suddenly like bam cyclone bt dubs Not just that. Then it's like, oh, also, like, it's not enough You're all, that that happened. You're going to foam from the mouth and bleed out your eyes. Yeah. And just, like, it hit everyone so quickly and just, like, okay. If it was hypothermia and they all really did have a pulmonary edema, like, how – they hit them all at once? Like, all of them succumbed to this immediately, basically? Like, I mean, what are the odds of that statistically? It seems – well, I th- so especially according to Valia, they were not malnourished. They did have this like, according to the autopsies, it said they had this like deficiency that they were right that they were malnourished. That they were, yeah. I mean, I definitely was in a production of Hamlet ages ago when the character that I played gets poisoned, and I had to do a deep dive into the different kinds of poisoning and how quickly different poisons take in and set in and how, and what are the side effects of that? I could see it being like an accidental poisoning of like mushrooms or whatever. And Valia just like not being into mushrooms. And that's why she didn't eat them. Yes. Or I guess some people posited that maybe she just had like a higher tolerance to them or they just didn't affect her chemically as much. I mean, like, I mean, I don't even know if that's allowed in the Soviet Union to be like, I'm actually not into that. I'm good. Yes. But I think it's possible to be like, you know, I'm not going to have this. It's just not my jam. I'll have the other stuff. Yeah. And have that, that thing be the thing that like fucks everyone. Yes. Yes. Sarah Point. There you go. They they had the fish. They had the The fish. People had the fish were fucked. They had the fish. Spoiler to a movie that's like 40 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great it's movie. Such a good movie. It holds up. It's amazing. It's fucking so good. That story was bananas. I'm fucked for the rest of my life. So <laughs> thank you for that. You're so welcome. <laughs> you can have, you know, bleeding eyes haunting your dreams for the next three weeks. Thanks to me. I really hope not because I've been doing these nighttime manifestation meditations. And <gasps> and if this works its way in your brain, you're going to manifest this at night. So the thing with this manifestation meditation is to reprogram basically your limiting beliefs and all the blocks that you have in your life of like why you don't get the things and why you feel you don't deserve the things, blah, 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 whatever. And something that was said to us was 
it is not uncommon for your body to basically reject it and like yeah come up with like like you pull the earphones out of your head or whatever you stop it in the middle of like the eight hours because like you kind of can't deal and the first night apparently I don't remember any of this okay but like an hour and a half into it I turned that off and put on a Blair Witch Project video (gasps) not the movie but like a a video about it oh and I don't even care for the Blair Witch Project so this is like some super subconscious shit that's like I can't deal with reprogramming my damage towards myself I need to program this Blair Witch shit into my brain again apparently yeah because I was like oh I wonder how long I watched this yeah And and then I saw that that wasn't the last video I watched that played rather it was a Blair Witch like YouTube whatever the fuck weird very weird very weird so i'm trying to reprogram my brain while i sleep and, <laughs> and amy's i don't it all know up. amy's fucking this up with the <laughs> bleeding of the eyes <laughs> you're not i'm obsessed with you I'm but i will you. let you know tell me girl <laughs> i need to know this interrupts i mean i'm not nailing it with this manifestation sleep subliminal whatever the fuck clearly because my brain is like i think you should watch some blair witch videos like a commentary of some random analysis project (laughs) that you have never had any interest in i don't even know how the fuck i was like it wasn't like queued up next or some fucking shit no i don't like the blair witch project that's don't like the movie That might be your um, little ghosty girl in your apartment fucking with you. Yeah, my fucking incubus. incubus, Yeah. Being like, I'm not going to better you. And I'm going to watch a a movie you don't like. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) You thought that the borderline sexual assault was bad? (laughs) Bitch, you don't even know. You don't even fucking know. (laughs) Wait till I play my YouTube playlist for you. You're going (laughs) to fucking be in a nightmare. It's just going to be like Shania Twain and like... 90s pop you don't i mean i was like man i feel like a woman what no i mean i'm here for it we're in a bar i mean i was like that's to be fair that's literally the only shania twain song i could name you so doesn't she do still the one still the one that i love oh is that her i will have to take your word for it because again i only know that one shania twain song it's great anytime it comes on i will sing yeah But yeah, I could not, I acted so like aghast, like you had yeah. personally affronted like someone I'm a huge fan of. I literally know no, the one song. song. <laughs> no, I'm down with it. I'm I, if I'm like 10 drinks in, it comes on at a bar. Fuck oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Man. I, I feel, feel like, like a woman. Yeah, no, it's a great time. Um, I mean, I feel like I'd be listening to other things while I'm trying to reprogram yeah. my brain. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, no. I'm not shitting on Shania Twain. I think she's a delight. Okay. I just... <laughs> Again, I only know the one song. I'm the worst. Uh... Um, this is the point in the show where I reiterate, we're not drunk. This is just... The funniest thing is since going out with Monique, I have not had stone anything to drink. I'm so cold sober because I can't handle this. Because... This is just me being ridiculous in my normal level. So, enjoy. You say ridiculous. I say delightful. Well, thank you. Um, so speaking of non-delightful things, I'm going to get into my fucking story. <laughs> I was uh, just going to say, speaking of ridiculous, do you have a ridiculous <laughs> fucking true crime for me? Um, this is a bit of a tough one. Whew. All right. So be prepared. As if the six be dead. Be prepared. Dang. Guys, 
Lion King. Not drunk. <laughs> I mean, the Scar song that is a complete like copy of Triumph of the Will. Do you know what the fuck I'm talking about? No. Oh, fuck. Amy. Gotta watch. Okay. So this is two references that have gone right over my right head. Right over this, this episode. I apologize. In The Lion King, the big Scar song is Be Prepared, and it is essentially... Okay. It's kind of coming back to me now. Like, Rip a off. reference of Nazi propaganda, which is what? Triumph of the Will. Yeah, be, to be like, this is how, like, dictator... Yeah! Old school <gasps> Disney was, like, intelligent as fuck. BT dubs. Yeah. Amazing. So also kind of an anti Semite, correct? Uh Walt Disney, yes. Yeah. But so uh, they the, weren't the promoting. Nazi I was like, so the Nazi connection should not actually be that surprising. Well, they weren't promoting Nazism. They're just like Scar Look, is never bad. Say they are, but yeah. Scar is bad. You know who else is bad? The Nazis. That's true. These are these are true things. It's low hanging fruit. But <laughs> it's actually really excellently done. And if you watch the scene with of Triumph of the Will. It's like a shot-for-shot shot remake. It's actually pretty amazing. That's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah. The Damn. more you know. Teaching um, things every day. My story doesn't have to do with Nazis, though. Uh, or, or The Lion King. Sadly. Okay. <laughs> the Lion King's a fucking delight. <laughs> We're not doing Hamlet with lions. Um, oh, damn it. Okay. Right? When I was in Hamlet, I actually had to explain it to my friends and family. Really? Via The Lion King. That's cute. I like that. Because they had... We're not they were having trouble. Hamlet. Yeah. No, but the story I am doing is a bit tough. It's not graphic, but it's tough, and you're going to see why. And there is one part in it in particular that I will take a moment beforehand to, like, trigger warn you of, like, okay. BT dubs. Like, this is when she gets real. This is this is going to get extra tough. So, like, now would be a great time to hit, like, pause, get yourself a cocktail, some other legal in most states situation pack a fat bowl you're good whatever she says i don't fucking know rail some lines i don't know what you're fucking poisoning girl i don't know although i did just read that fentanyl and cocaine in new york is like a big problem right now so yeah stay away from cocaine careful Um, careful out there just kind of for your life bt that's true so i'm going to talk about louise ogborn sources abc news after dark analysis couriergeneral.com and wikipedia.com. In 2004, Louise Ogborn was a high school senior in Mount Washington, Kentucky, who had just turned 18. Her mother had recently lost her job due to health problems, so Louise got a job at the local McDonald's working the counter for 6.35 an hour to help out, which Oof. fuck. Yeah, damn. $15 minimum wage. That's why they're trying to get that shit. I mean, 6.35 an hour. I can't even, yeah. You work 10 hours. Yeah. Before taxes, it's 63 bucks. Yeah. Before taxes. It's, that's insane. So after taxes, you're getting like, what, $40? Right. Basically. <laughs> right. Like I'm exaggerating, but like, am I really? Not really, yeah. though. <laughs> like 50 Yeah. Wow. My Thanks. whole hard day of work. Thanks so much. Oh, fuck. She did whatever she could to financially assist her mother, which like, ugh. Sweet baby angel. Uh, yeah. Including taking extra shifts whenever they were available. By all accounts, Louise was a great employee. The churchgoer and former Girl Scout had not received so much as a single reprimand in the four months that she had been working at the fast food establishment. On April 9th, 2004, an evening shift opened up last minute, and Louise offered to stay on and work through the restaurant's dinner rush to make a few extra bucks. 
Around 4 p.m., a call came in from a man requesting to speak with the assistant manager, Donna Summers. Not to be confused <gasps> with icon Donna Summer. I was like, why is she working at McDonald's? No. This is a white woman who does not have the amazing hair and voice. And I'm still sure. look at her life and look at her choices. <laughs> oh, it does. When Summers got on the phone, the man identified himself as Officer Scott and told her that one of her female employees had been accused of stealing a woman's purse. Summers said, quote, He gave me a description of the girl, and Louise was the one who fit it to a T, end quote. Oh, no. He also told Summers that Louise was a drug dealer and that he had McDonald's corporate on the line, as well as Lisa Siddons, the store manager, and that local authorities were searching the 18-year-old's home at that very moment. What? Who the fuck is this fucking guy? Officer Scott told the 51-year-old assistant manager that no officers were available at the moment to handle such a minor matter, so she had a choice of strip-searching Louise then and there at the restaurant or waiting on the police to arrest her and take her to jail, where she would then be strip-searched. What? I'm sorry. As the mm -hmm. assistant manager of a McDonald's, I don't think you're qualified, nor have you been trained to properly conduct a strip search of your employees, nor should anyone, a police officer, as they're implying, would ask you to do that. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, this bitch went and did it, didn't she? I can't. It's going to get real bad. Oh God, okay. Get your cocktails and your... Uh, I'll just drink my water your, your, over here. Your... You're on the spectrum of legal substances ready. Um, it's going to get bad. Believing him, <sighs> Summers opted for the first option. No. Which at the time was seemingly the easiest. Officer Scott thanked her for her cooperation. While Summers would later admit that she had never known Louise to be dishonest, she nevertheless led the teenager into the back office, locked it, and told her what was going on. Louise said, quote, I was bawling my eyes out and literally begging them to take me to the police station because I didn't do anything wrong. I couldn't steal. I'm too honest. I stole a pencil one time from a teacher and I gave it back. End quote. <gasps> That's so sweet. That's who we're dealing with here. That's this so is who sweet. stole a woman's person as a drug dealer. As yeah. per Officer Scott. Am I the only one who would have told the quote unquote cop that they were doing it and they should not have done it and gone back to work and been like, fuck that. And then if they came and like, yeah, strip search her, she didn't have anything on her. Sorry. We'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> like I said, this is a Sorry, I'm one. jumping the gun very, very no, clearly no, no, right off the bat. No, you're I'm no. just like, what the fuck? Right. Okay. The caller instructed Summers to follow his orders and do exactly as he said. He started by telling her to have Louise empty her pockets and surrender her car keys and cell phone, which she did. <gasps> The caller then told Summers to remove Louise's clothing, one item at a time, including her underwear, leaving her with just a small, dirty apron to cover her completely naked body. <gasps> oh my god, no. Okay. I, it's a tough one. It's already so weird, too. Summers shook every item of Louise's clothing to see if any drugs would fall out, placed the clothing in a bag, and took them to her car for the police to pick up, as per Officer Scott's orders. Summers says she never second-guessed what she was being asked to do, as she firmly believed the person she was talking to was a police officer. Like, get the badge number, something. Like, 
And the girl wanted to go to the cops. Like, just, I'd be like, okay, like, let her go to the cops then. She clearly, like, doesn't want this strip search here. Yeah. And Louise, the epitome of a Pollyanna, says she trusted her manager to do what was right. At one point, Summers asked herself why it was taking so long for the police to show up, seeing as how the Mount Washington Police Department was only a quarter of a mile away from the restaurant. What? And, like, there was a direct line of sight. Like, you could literally (gasps) see it. But whenever Summers asked questions, Officer Scott always had an answer. At the caller's instructions, she refused to tell Dockery, the other assistant manager, what was going on. After detaining Louise for more than an hour, Summers told the officer that she couldn't continue to watch the naked and frightened teenager. (gasps) She was naked in this room for an hour? Yeah. Oh my god, okay. Girl, it's I was not prepared. No, it's gonna get real bad. This was not a great show to, this was not a great episode to not drink. Just, I am, sorry. I am very aware of that in this moment, Monique. Summers told the officer that she couldn't continue to watch the naked and frightened teenager. It was a busy Friday night and Summers had to return to the counter. The man on the phone demanded that another employee be left to watch Louise until the police arrived. So Summers chose 27-year-old line cook Jason Bradley. No, don't pick a guy. Bradley took the phone, and when the man on the other line told him to remove Louise's apron and describe the 18-year-old's nude body to him, he refused (gasps) and walked out in disgust, leaving (gasps) Summers with no one to watch Louise. Yes! Correct. Good for this fucking guy, which should have been fucking... Donna, sorry, your first fucking move would be like, no, fuck you. Exactly. Again... At this point, Louise has been detained for an hour. Her phone and her car keys have been taken away, and she was completely naked except for an apron that's, like, barely covering her. Yeah. She later testified that she thought she couldn't leave. Louise said, quote, I was scared because they were a higher authority than me. I was scared for my own safety because I thought I was in trouble with the law. End quote. Ugh. Summers again told the caller that she had to get back to the counter, and that's when he proposed an unusual suggestion. Did Summers have a husband or a boyfriend who could watch the suspect? (gasps) As a matter of fact, Summers had a fiancé. So, true to form, Summers did as she was told, and at about 6 p.m., Walter West Nix Jr. arrived at the Mount Washington store to help out his fiancé with her situation. Nix was a 42-year-old father of two and an exterminator by trade. The churchgoer also coached youth baseball teams in the area and was described by his best friend, Terry Grigsby, as, quote, a great super guy, a great community guy. He was a great role model for kids. I don't think he'd ever had a ticket, end quote. Suspicious. Always suspicious. Mm-hmm. That's okay, what you, should... you call foreshadowing. Yeah. Also, like... You should have a ticket somewhere. Like, <laughs> I'm a, an admitted trash person, but I'm still a pretty good person, and I've fucking gotten a ticket before. I've gotten lots of tickets before. Come on. I have no tickets because I you have don't never drive. owned a car. Yeah, you don't drive. That's fine. <laughs> That's understandable. That's how you circumvent the law, <laughs> baby. Unless you're getting tickets for, like, jaywalking or, like, public urination or something, like, both I mean, of which I don't think you're... Well, Giuliani was basically gone by the time I was here, so I didn't have to worry about that. All right, there you go. There you go. 
Summers quickly told her fiance that there was a girl in the office who had been caught stealing, handed Nix the phone, and left the office, leaving the 90-pound naked teenager alone with a six-foot-tall, 230-pound Nix. I want to scream, Monique. This is so bad. I'm like fetal position in the chair right now. I can't. It's real bad. Oh, no. Security camera footage shows... Mm. That after being told that there's a police officer on the phone, Nix can be seen obeying the caller's instructions for the next two hours. Oh my god. Okay. As per his orders, he pulled the apron away from Louise, leaving her nude and describing her to the caller. He ordered the frightened teenager to stand on a chair, dance with her arms above her head, jog, perform jumping jacks, and deep knee bends to, quote, shake loose anything she might be hiding, end quote. I can't even. She was also instructed to bend over and show him her genitalia as part of the search. The line cook is a better person than this fucking piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who's 27? This dude's 42. This is, like, supposed to be, like, a good church-going community man, right? Who's, like, a father of two, good man. Oh, of course. Of course, of course. Baseball. Just making sure he thinks all this is on the up and up, and he's super cool with it. Just Mm -hmm. making sure. Mm -hmm. So, not only are the security cameras in the office recording all of this insanity. Yeah! Summers keeps coming in and out of the office throughout this entire ordeal, like, to get, (gasps) like, like, um... I need more checkbooks or receipt paper or something stupid. Yeah, Yeah, and like gift certificates and whatever. She keeps coming in and out. Oh my God. And every time Nick hears the door unlock, he throws the apron back at Louise so that she can cover herself, tells her to be quiet and not tell Donna what's happening as instructed by the caller. And as soon as Summers would leave, the abuse would begin anew. Officer Scott would sometimes directly talk to Louise, demanding that she do as she was told if she wanted to keep her job and avoid further punishment. I don't want any job that badly. (sighs) Poverty is a hell of a circumstance, though. For sure. That's how fucking poor people get fucked over so much is because you can't fucking do anything about your situation. Well, here's the thing. This isn't, we'll get into it. I don't think this is a poverty thing. Oh, right. Isn't she, like, have to help her mom out with medical bills and shit? Yes. We'll get into it. Okay. The poverty thing is not the driving force here. Okay. We'll get into it. Noted. The 18-year-old said she believed she was trapped. Nix outweighed her by 145 pounds and stood nearly a foot taller. Louise said, quote, I was scared for my life, end quote. At the caller's behest, Nix ordered the girl to sit on his lap and kiss him because... (gasps) That would allow Nix to smell anything that might have been on her breath. When Louise refused, Nix was told to spank her until she promised to do so. When she failed to dress Nix as Sir. (gasps) Oh, this took such, okay, this took such a weird turn. Okay. It's, it's going to get like, this isn't great and it's going to get real bad in like a second. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you when it does. When she failed to dress Nix as Sir. The caller instructed Nix to violently spank her, which he did for almost 10 (gasps) minutes straight to the point where you can see welts forming on her backside in the security footage. Nix said Louise was asking too many questions, so he was told to hit her. 
She kept begging him to stop, saying, quote, please don't do this. This is so ridiculous. Please don't do this, end quote. But that would just make him hit her harder. Officer Scott then spoke directly to Louise, demanding that she do as she's told or face worse punishment. Okay, so this is where it gets really bad. I mean, Monique, it was already awful. Yeah. I'm already so upset. Yeah. If I'm not responding enough. It's because I just am at a loss Amy for is words. legitimately in the fetal position I'm on, the so, chair, on the chair. I'm so, I'm so fucked up by this already. All right, continue. Yeah. So it's just going to get real bad. I'm um, okay. I've braced myself. For the next, like, Oof. four lines. Okay. The crux of the abuse happened about two and a half hours into the ordeal. The caller ordered Louise to kneel on the brick floor mm-hmm. in front of Nick's, unbuckle his pants, and perform oral sex on him. The terrified teenager refused and cried and begged Nick's to stop. She told him, quote, no, I didn't do anything wrong. This is ridiculous, end quote. But Nix told her that he would hit her if she didn't follow the instructions. So she eventually relented and obeyed the caller's commands. Uh, Let's just take a moment because that was so fucking awful. That was so awful. I'm going to take a sip of my Gimlet because that was terrible. I mean, okay. Definitely jumping the gun here. I'm probably going to fuck some shit up. You're very, you're jumping the gun, but yes. He has to be in on it with whoever the fuck is on the phone, right? This has to be... This is not just a coincidence that this is the dude that shows up. We shall see. Okay. Again, during this whole ordeal, Summers was regularly returning to the office. And for those who don't remember, because a lot... I just gave you a lot of shit. Summers is engaged to Nix. Yeah, I was like, did she walk in while, like, the girl was blowing... Forcibly blowing him? That, no. She missed that, but... Conveniently. Great. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Monique. Eventually, Nix became uneasy about what was happening. Oh! Oh! Eventually? Eventually. Now he's after uneasy? After you two forced fucking hours. to fucking suck your dick, you're uneasy about the situation? I can't. Yeah. <laughs> after, like, this berating her, beating the shit out of her, humiliating her, yeah. beating the shit out of her, forcing her to suck your dick, you're like, you know... Maybe this I'm, isn't on the up and up. I'm getting a weird vibe from this police officer on the phone telling me to do all this horrible shit. I don't know. There's something that as just a, makes me feel not great. As an engaged father of two, I'm just kidding. And a churchgoer who's down with JC. I just think there's something a little hinky about little, this situation. wonky. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Fuck this guy so fucking hard. I can't. Okay. Yeah. And the caller permitted him to leave. On the condition that Summers finds someone else to replace him. Why? Why? Okay. Again, it's two and a half hours into this at this point. The police station is a quarter of a mile away. And there's a direct line of sight to it from the restaurant. And like all of this is taking place in the back of a McDonald's. Yeah. This is not in someone's house. This is not in a creepy basement. And this is a McDonald's. Like there's people coming in and out with their yeah. fucking kids. Like... Yeah. Literally a door away from this whole situation. Like, and the whole thing how is, is this possible? recorded yes! because it's a McDonald's. How the fuck is this happening? Okay. We're going to get into it. After Nix left the building, he drove a few blocks to his home and immediately called his best friend Grigsby and told him, quote, I've done something terribly bad, uh, end quote. Yes. Understatement of the century. Finally, you're getting it. Cool. 
I'm glad that you finally that put it together. finally putting this together, that this wasn't on the up and up. Short on staff, due to Louise being detained and the dinner time rush, Summers needed to find someone to take Nix's place. And that's when she happened to spot 58-year-old Thomas Sims, a maintenance man for the store who had been off work and was merely stopping into the restaurant for dessert and a coffee. Summers called him into the office, and Sims was shocked by what he saw. A young, naked woman trying to cover herself up with a small piece of cloth. So he's basically like, what in the actual fuck is happening here? What did I just walk into? Yes. And like, she doesn't know this man. She's literally just like, oh, this guy looks... Well, no, like he works there. Oh, okay. But he's just not working there right now, and he's stopping in for like a coffee and and like a fucking froyo or whatever the fuck. But he's like, this is not... He's like, what the fuck is this? But Summers insisted that everything was on the up and up and that it was okay for him to watch her because corporate had approved it and handed Sims the phone. Officer Scott told the maintenance worker that he would be replacing Nick's and that it was his turn to watch over the traumatized as fuck and still very naked Louise. The caller told Sims to have Louise drop the apron and to describe her. Sims refused. Good for you, dude. Thank you. He quickly put together that something wasn't right here and that the situation was super fucked. I'm going to throw a crazy idea out here. Hang up the phone. Like, is that is that so crazy? Like, I feel like that literally solves all of your problems. If you hang up the phone and this quote unquote cop is pissed, he's going to come the fuck over here and deal with this fucking situation, correct? You think. Hang up the fucking phone. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. When the only person in this entire story, other than Louise, who is not a complete moron slash asshole, refused to go along with the caller's demands, Summers became suspicious. Oh my goodness! And decided to call her manager, Lisa Siddons, the McDonald's upper management the caller claimed to have been on the other line with and was speaking directly to during this whole ordeal. Summers discovered that Siddons not only had no fucking clue what the fuck crazy shit Summers was talking about, but that she had been home sleeping during all of this. Shocking. And that's when Summers finally put together that this whole thing had been a sick prank. She confronted the caller who promptly hung up and they quickly dialed star 69 before any other calls could come in, giving them the number the alleged police officer had called from. And I just want to take a side note. In every article I read about this, our homeboy, Thomas Sims, who was like not trash and was like, actually, what the fuck is wrong with you and what are you doing? Yeah. In every article, they're like, this maintenance worker who only had a ninth grade education. And it was like, um, why are we bringing... And I think it was to be like, he put it together and other people didn't who had like more of an education. But like, don't fucking besmirch the name of Thomas Sims. For real? Like, fuck you. Don't be classist. Don't be a piece of shit. This doesn't have to do with education. This has to do with being like a decent human being. Yeah. Actually. Education does not equal morality. 10,000 fucking percent. So fuck every source that I listed earlier for like making it a thing that he had a ninth grade education. Go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Thank you for the info. But fuck you because Thomas Sims is the fucking hero of this story. So... I'm not here for your bullshit and you're being like, he's just this dunce who is a maintenance worker and had a ninth grade education and he put it together. Fuck you. He's a hero. 
I'm obsessed with Thomas Sims. Uh, I'm obsessed because that I and seriously. I will buy you a dessert and a coffee at any McDonald's any fucking time. So you let me the fuck know. I'm obsessed with you for real. McFlurry's on the house for you, sir. girl. We fucking got you. <sighs> yeah, that's bullshit of them to fucking. Say it was that. so gross. It's like yeah. I understand it was the early 2000s, and while that may not seem like that long ago, it actually really oh, it actually was. was. Yeah, of where we were societally at that point. 10,000%. Yeah, we're like, guys, sure. we're like nailing it in the early 2000s. And like, you look cool, back oh, and no. it's like, oh, no, we were not. We were actually super inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, we were super trash. Hence, every fucking article that mentions him is like, mm. I mean, he had like a ninth grade education, and somehow with his like dumb brain figured this out. He still managed to be a good, decent, moral person shocking because again those things don't have anything to do with one another exactly and actually you'll find a lot of highly intelligent people are actually really fucking like sadistic sometimes we'll get into that later in the program hey Hey. realizing her colossal fuck up summers begged louise for forgiveness the 90 pound teenager was so cold she was shaking and so stunned that as Dockery, the other assistant manager, because granted, the other assistant manager didn't know what the fuck was going on. She was told that there was a situation where she was, where Louise was accused of stealing, but the caller was like, don't tell the other assistant manager what the fuck's going on. So she never went back there. Like, she didn't know what the fuck was okay. happening. She's like, she didn't she see her naked. dealing with it. Like, I'm exactly, good. I got a man in the front. For like an hour, yeah. the other assistant manager, Summers is watching her. So someone else has to be manning the front. Yes. But this comes to light and Dockery is wrapping her in a blanket because just she's literally shaking from freezing and from like being like trauma. Absolutely. That as Dockery is wrapping Louise in a blanket, Louise asked if she had to show up for work the next morning. (gasps) That gave me full body chills. Like that's the level of this person that they've subjected this this to. Is like that's how like good of a person is. She's like still thinking like oh I have a shift tomorrow like Like, do do I have to show up for that because like this is a lot to do. Even though you gave me like the PTSD of my fucking life. Yeah. Over a fucking prank phone call. Mm -hmm. Dockery told her no quote take as much time off as you want end quote. Correct. Soon the office was crawling with McDonald's supervisors and they looked panicked as fuck. Again, because this is a huge deal and you fucked up really badly. Not just that, but again, there's security cameras so you can watch all of this fucking happen. Yeah, and it happened on your premises. Like, it's not a great look. HR is going to have a fucking field day with this. HR is going to have a field day with this. Like, that's the fucking craziest. Yeah, it makes them look really fucking bad. So they're doing damage control like nobody's fucking business. It's not a great look. It's only then that somebody actually calls the police. What? It's at that moment. Because also, they were under the impression they were on the phone with the police police, this whole time. Oh my God. Who arrive in five minutes because, again, the Mount Washington police is only a quarter of a mile away from the restaurant. This horrific ordeal lasted a total of three and a half hours with the entire incident being recorded by a surveillance camera in the office. Summers watched the tapes later that night and saw all of the awful things her fiancé had done to this poor girl and immediately broke off her engagement. Good. And, according to her attorney, hasn't spoken to him since. Oh. 
Oh my god, I couldn't live with myself afterwards, I don't think, if I had done this to this poor girl. I mean, and I, like, even out of, like, I was ignorance, orders. basically. Yeah. yeah. How the Nuremberg you? defense. Yeah. Even out of that. Yeah. As they started investigating the case, the Mount Washington police gave it a goog and did a simple word search on the internet and realized that this was only the latest in a string of events that had lasted about 10 years. Stop it. Yes. Wait. Girl, you're not even not fucking ready. This is not a one-off ready. incident? This no. This has been happening for 10 fucking years. 10 fucking years. Girl, we're going to get into it. Like, you're not ready for this fucking story. Like, this story is... I think it's my a lot. brain might have imploded a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. It's... Girl, buckle uh, the fuck up. I... Okay. I, I'm buckled up. I've got, like, the, the five point. <laughs> five point harvest. Let's do this. Let's do this. I feel like it's very possible at some point we might have to pause and you might have to get like a cider or something because it is, it's a lot. <sighs> okay. I, I accept this as an I'm sorry. Late. No, it's fine. But it's inevitable. It's fine. We did this to ourselves. We did this to ourselves. And I to know. you. I know. I subjected you to blood out the eyes and you did six deaths. So, so this is your payback. That's fine. I accept. Fuck this. you. I know. That's <laughs> fine. I totally deserve this. Stop. I'm totally obsessed with you. Um, uh, I'm obsessed with you. How the fuck have I not fucking heard this story before? Like this is the craziest fucking shit. We're going to get into it. Oh my God. Okay. okay. The first report of such a call came in 1995 in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, and the situation was always the same. A man would call a restaurant or grocery store in a small town, and he would identify himself as a police officer or authority figure and would ask for the manager or supervisor. He would then solicit their help in detaining a female employee or customer who was suspected in a crime, and he would then ask the manager to search the suspected woman. The caller specifically targeted stores in small towns and rural communities where managers were more likely to be trusting. Most were fast food restaurants where the male and female victims were young and inexperienced, and the assistant managers were likely to be working without supervision. Okay. Also, I didn't write this in here, but I read it a lot, that like fast food restaurants, you're trained to not think. It's... Yeah, it's line. It's like yeah. it's 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 the you're the, supposed to be a machine, basically. Yeah, it's the like Ford automation of like you do this thing and the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, where you're trained to literally not think, literally not question, just do what you're told. Like yeah, boom, 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 boom. So this person knows that and very specifically is targeting these places because he knows he won't be questioned. Gotcha. There are also just those people who just won't question authority, for sure. Here are just some of the incidences of other scam calls that had taken place. Oh, God. On November 30th, 2000, the caller persuaded the manager at a McDonald's in Litchfield, Kentucky, to remove her own clothes in front of a customer whom the caller said was a suspected sex offender. The caller promised that undercover officers would bust in and arrest the customer the moment that he attempted to molest her. What? Detective Lieutenant Gary Troutman of the Litchfield Police Department said, quote, We asked her why she hadn't called the police, and she said she thought it was local police who had called her. End quote. <sighs> Sweetie. Honey. Yeah. 
And these are small... T- like, this shit isn't happening I in Boston. Know. It's not happening in New York. Oh, it's happening in New Yorkers bubble. would not fucking... They're not picking up the call because they're no. like, I have 4,000 fucking things to do. Yeah, I don't have fucking time for you. I don't have time for fucking phone call. Fuck off. If your police officer fucking show up at my fucking restaurant, I'll fucking talk to you then. Exactly. It's Go like... fuck your face. Um, this is the McDonald's on 42nd Street, <laughs> right next to fucking um, Aladdin. Yeah, I, we cannot handle it. We can't be bothered. There is the military office like four blocks away, and then there's a police station on 54th Street. You want to call me? We're not going to fucking pick up. You walk your happy ass down here and tell us what the fuck is happening. In person, where I can see your fucking badge in your uniform. Thanks. Exactly. Yep. On May 29th, 2002, a girl celebrating her 18th birthday in her first hour on her first day on the job at McDonald's in Roosevelt, Iowa, was forced to strip jog naked and assumed a series of embarrassing poses all at the direction of a caller on the phone on january 26 2003 an applebee's assistant manager in davenport iowa subjected a female server to a 90 minute strip search after receiving a collect call <gasps> from someone claiming to be a regional manager for the franchise oh you're so dumb i can't handle that you're that's the stupidest these are like i know i know and i'm being so mean and close-minded right now but like you're i'm sorry that's fucking so stupid on june 3rd 2003 a caller to a taco bell in Juneau, alaska said he was working with the company to investigate drug abuse at the store and had a manager pick out a 14-year-old <gasps> customer strip her and forced her to perform lewd acts. In February 2003, a call was made to a McDonald's in Haynesville, Georgia, a female manager who believed she was speaking with a police officer who was with the director of operations of the restaurant's upper management, took a female employee to the woman's bathroom and strip searched her. She also brought in a male employee who then conducted a body cavity (gasps) search of the woman to uncover hidden drugs. It's so much. Okay. So it's a lot. Okay. In July 2003, a Winn-Dixie grocery store manager in Panama City, Florida, received a call instructing him to bring a female cashier into the office where she was strip-searched since she matched the description of the suspect provided by the caller. The cashier was forced to undress and pose in various positions as part of the search. The incident ended when another manager entered the office to retrieve a set of keys. And here's the thing. At first... Nobody believed store managers when they insisted after the fact that they had just done what they were told by someone they believed was the police. Restaurant owners and police often said that they assumed the caller and the victims were in cahoots in a bizarre scam to extract settlements from individual franchises. But the hoaxes continued. And by the time the caller telephoned the McDonald's in Mount Washington in April 2004, there had been over... 70 occurrences of this sick prank in 32 states. These are insane numbers. Yes. And that's of the incidents that were filed to the police. As many weren't even reported because embarrassed restaurant officials were reluctant to publicize them. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, the fiercely competitive chains were also initially hesitant to talk to each other and trade information. This is literally like, you know, the different precincts and when they're working on a case and like, I don't want to fucking tell you a thing because you might get some intel from me. 
it's the same thing. Like Wendy's is not talking to McDonald's. McDonald's is not talking to Taco Bell. Yeah. And this is happening to all of them. Oh my God. Okay. The reason the incident in Mount Washington got much more media attention than the others was because way more people were involved and the scam went on for much longer than the others. Yeah. Three and a half hours. Fuck. And she brought in like three relief pitchers or something. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. One of whom didn't even fucking work there. It was her fiance. Oh my God. It was the worst one. (laughs) It was literally the worst one. The worst. The one she actually like knew, was supposed to know like better than everyone else, turned out to be literally the the worst worst person in that scenario. So I'm guessing right about now you're thinking, what the fucking fuck? How could people be so stupid as to be duped into some crazy shit that is clearly fucking crazy? Monique, I'm so glad it's you like, asked. It's like you're reading my mind right I now. I know. It's actually insane. This yes, is why we're I, partners yes. in true crime. I literally just thought yeah. all of that. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Tell me, Monique. To get into it, we got to get in our way, way back machine and go to 1961 when the Milgram experiment was conducted. <gasps> oh my God. This is like, I'm such a nerd. This is like one of my favorite experiments that I like literally bring up all the time in conversation. Like if I can fucking drop this shit in conversation... I will fucking drop this shit in conversation. Oh my God. Is this literally what this boils down to? Is the Mulgar experiment? Oh my God. Um, this makes that so much sense. And, and a few other things. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Fucking thrilled right now. I'm like giddy. I'm, I'm like so giddy glad I could chair. turn this around for you because you were so upset very justifiably because what I said was fucking horrifying. It was very horrifying. Um, but I'm on board again. Okay, tell me. Okay. 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 <laughs> The Milgram experiment on obedience to authority figures was a series of social psychological experiments conducted by Yale University professor Stanley Milgram. They gathered a group of men from diverse occupations and various levels of education to measure the willingness of study participants to obey an authority figure when instructed to perform acts that conflicted with their own personal conscience. The participants were led to believe that they were participating in a completely different study in which they had to administer electric shocks to a learner in another room. A man in a white lab coat introduced the participants to a student and told them to shock the student each time he made a mistake, increasing the voltage with each error. These fake electric shocks gradually increased to levels that would have been fatal had they been real. The study found that 65% of subjects, despite their reluctance, would follow instructions. The study is now used as a classic example of authority bias, which is the tendency to attribute greater accuracy to the opinion of an authority figure and be more influenced by that opinion. Then there's the Hoffling Hospital Experiment of 1966, where Psychiatrist Charles K. Hoffling conducted a field experiment on obedience in the nurse-physician relationship. In a natural hospital setting, a person would telephone a nurse saying that they were a doctor. They would ask the nurse to administer 20 milligrams of fake drug, Astroten, to a patient and that he or she would provide the required signature for the medication later. A bottle labeled Astroten would have been placed in the drug cabinet in advance And the bottle had a clearly printed label on it that said that the maximum daily dose was 10 milligrams. So the nurses were being asked to give double the maximum dose to this patient. Also, this drug wasn't on the approved list. In spite of official guidelines forbidding administration in such circumstances, Hoffling found that 21 out of the 22 nurses would have given the patient an overdose of medicine. Yep. Perhaps most interestingly, 
The experiment also found that 21 of the 22 nurses that had been given the questionnaire beforehand said they would not obey the doctor's orders. Of course. Which added on to Milgram by demonstrating that most people would say, I wouldn't do that before they turned right around and And fucking fucking did that. Yep. Then, of course, there's the infamous Stanford Prison Experiment of 1971. Another one of my faves. Great. So good. You know, it's so funny. When I was, I don't know if you've said this on on the air, but we've definitely discussed this. And if it's too much, you can definitely cut it. Oh, okay. We have discussed how you have said that you would love to have done these experiments (gasps) at this time when like ethics wasn't really a thing. Oh, I definitely have said it on the podcast. (laughs) It's definitely already come up. Don't worry about it. So when I was looking all this up, I was like, okay, well, Amy will be on board with this because I'm bringing these things up. Oh yeah. And they're super fucking unethical, but I'm like so weirdly here for them. Because they're fascinating. They are fascinating. And we have since repeated the Milgram experiment and really, yes, the only unethical thing they considered about that was that they did not tell those people after the fact that they hadn't actually killed killed anybody. So those people went home from that study literally believing that they had killed somebody and did not know for like years later, I want to say. That was, that's a thing with a lot of the experiments that they like. It's like disclosure. As long as you do that at the end, like you're kind of fine. Yeah, Yeah. like, uh, I don't remember who it was, but there there was a a, a psychologist, psychiatrist. The experiment was about creating like a negative association with a thing. So he took babies who were like going to be adopted. And and like scared the shit out of them with like mice, little rats. Well, it was like anything furry. So it would first, it would be like a beard on like a Santa Claus mask. And then it was like. Well, no, it was a mouse first, and then it was, like, That's a beard. Yeah. And it was, like, almost Pavlovian that there would be, like, a very jarring noise that happened. Yes, yes, yes. And then, like, he was planning on deprogramming the baby, and then it got adopted. And he's like, well, fuck it, I'm sure the baby's fine. Yeah, guess what? It's not it's fucking not, fine. Yeah. No, traumatized as fuck. Like, that it got to the point that it was even, like, touching, like, fur or velvet. Like, the baby <gasps> would freak the fuck out. Yeah, rightfully fucking so. Like, Deprogram the fucking baby, baby you fucking on, monster. Dude. Holy fuck. Yeah. I wouldn't do that to a baby, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. I, like a 26-year-old fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would Here's my argument. <gasps> Basically, according to these studies, everyone's terrible and will literally kill someone under the guise of just, like, an author- Well, not everyone, like but... 65%. 65%. Which, again, is a majority of yes. people will kill someone just because an authority figure told them to. So that's why I am not a Pollyanna. And I firmly believe that people are kind of trash, even when they believe that they are not trash. For sure. Because like all of those nurses said, they would not have done that. For sure. Consciously. And yet as soon as a fucking quote unquote doctor told them to do it, fucking injected whoever it was, right? Yep. No hesitation. Exactly. So there you go. So in case... uh... You don't know what the Stanford Prison Experiment is. It was a social psychology experiment that attempted to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power focusing on the dynamic between prisoners and corrections officers. The experiment was conducted at Stanford University between August 14th and August 20th. The research group was led by Professor Philip Embargo using college students. The volunteers for this mock prison were randomly assigned either prisoner or guard with Zimbargo serving as the superintendent. The guards, who were meant to be the authority figures, 
were asked to wear mirrored sunglasses as a barrier between themselves and the prisoners, as well as an attempt to dehumanize themselves. Early reports on the experiment's results claimed that the students quickly embraced their assigned roles with some guards enforcing authoritarian measures and ultimately subjecting the prisoners to psychological torture. Many prisoners passively accepted the psychological abuse and by the officer's requests even actively began harassing other prisoners who tried to stop it. Several of the assigned prisoners left the experiment because of this, because fuck that, and the whole thing was shut down just six days into the two-week-long experiment. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> That's my favorite part of that one. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we planned for this the last two weeks, and like, it literally it went just off the rails in six fucking days. Like, that's how long you guys couldn't hold it together. <laughs> like, that's how much the shit went off the fucking rails. Seriously. So, how does this connect to the strip search scam calls? The caller identifying himself as law enforcement working in conjunction with corporate, establishing them as an authority figure. He had also mastered the police officer's calm but authoritative demeanor and even sprinkled in law enforcement jargon into every conversation. That's the key. Mm. There you go. You got to sell it. Got to get the jargon. Yep. And he did his homework. He researched the names of regional managers and local police officers in advance <gasps> and mentioned them by name to bolster his credibility. That's super smart. Which, if you may remember, again, there was a lot that I hit you with, which was super fucking emotional. But when he called the Mount Washington McDonald's, he said, I'm on the line with the store manager, Lisa Soddens. Yes. Like, he said the name. He so name dropped like crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so this is super fucking legit. Yes. He also called some restaurants in advance, somehow getting the names and descriptions of victims so he could accurately describe them later. The victims' clothes being removed was an attempt to dehumanize them, making them feel weak and vulnerable, in addition to making it harder for them to escape. Yeah. And throughout the entire incident, reasons were provided for each and every action, no matter how lame they seemed in hindsight. For instance... In the Mount Washington incident, the caller kept assuring Summers and Nicks that law enforcement would take full responsibility for anything that happened, taking the pressure of consequences off the people participating. Yeah. Which, study after study shows, causes people to act in ways they normally wouldn't due to the fear of consequences. Yep. It's amazing what people do when they don't think there's any consequences to their actions, right? Oh, I remember an ex of mine had a friend who they had that like super deep when you were in college or high school of like, if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Yeah. Like combo. Okay. And his friend said, I would go around raping people. <gasps> that was his baseline. And my ex wasn't like, well, I'm never speaking to you again because bro code. Yeah, huge red flag, huge glaring red flag. Yeah, and I'm going to guess if that's your fantasy, you probably have already done it. Yeah, in, in one form or another, yeah. Yeah, and you being like, the only reason I'm not doing it is because I would get caught. Girl, look at your fucking life and look at your fucking choices and get to some fucking therapy. Seriously? Yep. Oh my God. I'm so happy that's like, I've never had to like deal with knowing somebody who would say that because I'm like, I don't even know what I would do. Like I'd want to report you, but then it's like report you for what? Right. Like a yeah. thought crime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, my ex uh, said that he would do heroin because. Oh, okay. That's, you know, 
I'll take that over the raping spree, sure. Monique. That's not the worst answer somebody could get. It's not great. I'm not supporting this, but like. See, my answer is like, spend it with the people I love and oh. like make love one last time. I mean, I was going to, yeah, I was going to like. That was I was me. going to consensually not- fuck my way through a bunch of people probably, but like I wasn't going to rape anybody. Yeah. And not be like, haha, I can get away with this because no. we're running down the clock. Alrighty then. Yep. So let's get back to the story because I've uh, <laughs> said a lot of terribleness and you've probably refilled your glass many a time. I just need to know who the fuck this is, if this is one guy, if this is multiple guys, if we're, are we even going to get a resolution? Are you going to leave me hanging here? I know, you will, there, there's the answer and there's the legal answer. Oh, amazing. Yes. I love that answer. Yes. Detective Buddy Stump. Can you handle oh, this fucking name? My God. I'm obsessed. I need a fucking sitcom. That's right amazing. Meow. That's amazing. Detective Buddy Stump. Uh, yes, please. He, he doesn't ha- work for the Parks Department, sadly. <gasps> He's the lone detective in the Mount Washington Police Department. Missed opportunity. It's a missed fucking opportunity. <laughs> missed opportunity. I'm obsessed. I did have a dentist named Dr. Smiley one time, which I thought was very fitting. There's no way that's his real name. I don't. I don't know. I if he changed feel that it, this good for him. But like, to I have thing. no idea. But I thought it was great. <laughs> it's very on brand. It was very on brand. It would be kind of weird if he was like a mortician. Oh, <laughs> that would be really dark. Really dark. So I like where your head went. Yeah. I mean, I like an opposite. <laughs> I'm gonna die alone. It's okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Detective Buddy Stump. We're obsessed. Obsessed. He's the lone detective. He's literally the only detective in the Mount Washington Police Department and had only been working a few weeks as an investigator <gasps> when he got this call. When they're like, hey, we got a, we got something to put on your desk here. Right. He's just like, I was not prepared for this. I'm actually still in training. Okay, thanks. It's like, mm. I haven't fully been onboarded yet. If you could wait a week, actually, that'd be great. Like, I don't think my deposit has gone through yet my direct deposit yeah. can we i'm not even getting talk my, to hr about this yet i'm not even getting insurance yet like i still have my I, my 90 know. days like yeah it's still like in <laughs> <laughs> this is still like the like training like you know probation period yeah <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> they're like here you go here you go good luck with this have fucking at it so he quickly arrested walter nix thank god okay thank fucking god And after running the number the store employees had obtained after using star 69 to get the phone number of the caller, Stump learned that the call had been made from a supermarket payphone in Panama City, Florida. (sighs) Florida, come on. Also, in case you don't remember, this is Kentucky. I do remember one of these cases was in Panama City, the Winn-Dixie. Correct. I never forget a Winn-Dixie. I, you know, I can't with the Win Dixie. No, I'm, that was a nothing total compares joke. to nothing. A, to Publix. 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 The end all be all. No one gives a fuck about Win Dixie. Let's be fucking real. <laughs> I have an aunt who was like all the fuck about Win Dixie, and it was like you're no. sus as fuck. Sketchy. This shit clearly didn't fly at fucking Publix. Oh no, this would never happen at Publix. No, it's no. where shopping is a fucking pleasure. Thank you. Stump also discovered that the call had been made with an AT&T calling card because it's the early 2000s. Yeah. Calling cards even a thing anymore? Yeah. I don't don't think think so. so. Upon learning that the biggest seller of those cards in Panama City was Walmart, he contacted the local police for help. 
but a Panama City detective told Stump a bit of interesting news. An officer from West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, was hot on the same trail. Because granted, they don't really know that there's a billion of these other things. Things happening, right? Yes. They think that this is a lone, like, super weird... Weird one-off incident. What the yeah. fuck? How is this, like, I'm three weeks in and this is the fucking thing they give yeah. me? Yeah. And they're like, no, this is a big deal. Like, you've stumbled upon something. Yes. Yeah. And e- I don't really mention it in this, but, like, a lot of detectives who took down this, the reports, like, filed it under miscellaneous in other states and, like... They were just, they thought it was just too weird. They're like, what the fuck is this? So they're like, I don't even know if a crime was really committed. Like, what Yeah, is yeah. And if, like, the victim isn't pressing, like, assault charges or something. Right. Like, how, again, yeah, how do you even classify that? And it's like, someone I don't know called me, and I don't know who it is, and told me to do a thing, but I thought they were a cop. Yeah. And you're like... This is, like, what are you talking about? What do you, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't know where, what to file that under either, honestly. Detective Sergeant Vic Flaherty. We are clearly a Massachusetts kid. I was going to say, <laughs> let me guess. I'm just like, hey. We're either there or straight up Ireland, so. Yeah, in Limerick or some shit. Yeah. I'll be like, hi, are you single? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Had been assigned to lead a task force investigating the crimes after the caller hit four Wendy's in the Boston suburbs one night in February 2004. He hit four in one night? Yep. Slow your roll, dude. Flaherty had traced a calling card used in some of the hoaxes to one of the Panama City Walmarts, but the store's surveillance video only captured customers entering and exiting, not at the registers. Okay. The detectives then cut a break when they discovered that the calling card used in the Kentucky incident was purchased at a different Walmart than the one in the Massachusetts case. This time, the cameras in the store were trained on the cash (gasps) registers, and it showed the purchaser as a white man about 35 to 40 with slicked back black hair and glasses. When detectives went back to the first surveillance tape to try to match up the face, they said that they believed that it was the same man and they noticed something else. He was wearing a uniform. Ugh. On June 28, 2004, Flaherty and a colleague flew to Panama City, and local officials immediately identified the jacket as the uniform worn by officers of Corrections Corporation of America, a private prison company that runs a jail in Panama City. With this footage, they were able to create a front and back composite photo which was taken to Corrections Corporation of America's HR department, who identified the suspect as one of their prison guards, 38-year-old David R. Stewart. I have a feeling this is not going to be the end of this. So when I was researching this, this next paragraph, I thought my I thought to myself all of this, and then I found it out, and I was like, of course this is what the fuck it is. So we're going to get into Lay it. Lay it on me. When Stewart was questioned, he denied making the calls and insisted he'd never bought a calling card. But when confronted, he started to, quote, sweat profusely and shake uncontrollably. Never a good quote. sign. Always usually super suspicious. Yeah, says yeah. as fuck. And although he claimed to have never purchased a calling card, when detectives searched his trailer, they found the card that had been used to call the Mount Washington McDonald's as well as one that had been used to call 
nine of restaurants in the past year. This fucking guy. And this is where I predicted a thing. And I was like, of course, this is what the fuck it is. Police also found dozens of applications for police department jobs. Hundreds of police magazines, training manuals, police type uniforms, guns, and holsters. Police also discovered that Stewart had attended a local police academy, had worked as a mall security, and even volunteered as a deputy with a small police department in western Florida. Detective Flaherty said, quote, It was very apparent Dave Stewart wanted to become a police officer. Yeah. Quote. Which I was like, this is some fucking loser who couldn't be a cop. And, and is like getting off on yes, it. Yes, yes. Total fucking power play. Because he's not really getting anything out of it. He's getting, like, somebody on the phone describing what this person looks it's like. It's like a virtual voyeurism. Yes. And it's like a god complex of, like, yes. I'm running this motherfucker. But it's not like he's getting the fucking security footage. Right. It's not like he's looking through the window and he's actually one of the he's customers He's getting or off something. on humiliating people and having people listen to him. Yes. Yeah. Literally just over the phone. Exactly. And... Ugh. Ugh disgusting but then so one i was like of course this is a wannabe cop of course but then at the same time i'm like can you imagine if he actually became a cop oh yeah like he he would have been like i nailed it and i'm gonna be on the up and up and i'm gonna do so many good things i'm gonna gonna serve and protect no No, i would be doing this shit with a fucking badge yeah i feel like this is the guy who would be trying to get the girl he pulled over for a traffic stop to blow him or some shit. Yeah, to get out of the ticket. To get out of the ticket, for sure. Or, like, out of, like, some super trumped-up charge. Yep. <sighs> this is why we can't have nice things. For real. Mount Washington became the first and only department to charge Stewart. Detectives in other jurisdictions said that they didn't press charges because in their districts, the caller's crimes would be a misdemeanor for <gasps> which he couldn't be extradited. On June 30th, 2004, Stump drove to Panama City to arrest him. Thank God for Stumps. Honestly, he's the only fucking one who's doing anything in this fucking situation. Stump and Flaherty are nailing this shit. Fuck yes. Stewart was extradited to Kentucky and charged with solicitation of sodomy. Um, fun side note, maybe. I don't think so. This is actually horrifying. Uh, I was not aware that the legal definition of sodomy included oral sex. Oh, I was not aware of that either. I thought it was... Strictly butt stuff. Yeah. Yep. Same. Mm-hmm. A- apparently, because I read this and I was like, wait, did they make her do that shit too? And it was like, no, legally it is oral sex and backdoor stuff. Interesting. The more you know. All right. Um... So, charged with solicitation of sodomy, impersonating a police officer, soliciting sex abuse, and unlawful imprisonment. Also, fun fact that's not fun, soliciting sex abuse is a misdemeanor and not a fucking felony. That's crazy to me. That is fucking crazy. What the actual fuck? Yeah. So, he's charged with all this shit, to which the married father of five pleaded not guilty. (gasps) Yeah, this isn't some loner creepazoid. He's been married what? for 11 years and no. has five fucking kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This man procreated like his genes five are in the fucking world? times. Uh. He was released on a $100,000 bond, uh. which was posted by his brother, C.W. Stewart, who 
happened to be a retired police officer from Chief Tawaga, New York. So you know that this damage runs deep of oh, like, yeah. why can't you be more like your, your brother? brother. Bah, 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 bah. He's a police officer in New York. You're just a fucking prison security guard in Florida. You're just like a mall cop. Yeah. Oof. So that he's got a complex for sure. Ten thousand. If that wasn't already percent. very apparent, because exactly, obviously, and of course, his family stood by him with his mother saying that he was quote a good boy end quote, and another relative saying that he was well liked in Cheektowaga, the Buffalo suburb where he grew up. Which what the fuck ever? Who the fuck Who is asking cares? you? Yeah. Clearly he's not. So you don't have all of the information, sir. Thanks. And like, let's be fucking real. It's a lot for a mother to be like, my son's trash. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. serial killers, they're, you know, like, have their mothers be like, oh, but he's like the best boy ever. And it's like, were they though? Clearly, the, the receipts say otherwise, ma'am. Yeah. But and then when they're not, then they use that like Ed Kemper. It's like my mom was trash and whatever. And it's like and that's why I'm the way I and am. And that's yeah. why I fucking murdered girls. Yeah. And it's like no, fuck you. You're just a piece of shit. Yeah, this is on you. Don't blame anybody else. Like exactly. Own your shit. Okay. You are the master of your fucking reality. <gasps> Facts. Figure Monique, your fucking life. Out. Yes, from Monique Sanchez. And like every other coach that I've ever <laughs> spent a fuck ton of money on. Ugh. I'm trying to be a better person. I to varying I, degrees of success. <laughs> still so admirable. I haven't tried to be a better person in years, Monique. <laughs> years. I'm like, I'm trash and it's fine. Like I'm just the I've accepted the lowest comment on there. You're not, you're amazing. <laughs> um uh if you have a table with uh like tchotchkes or anything on it, um Oh, am I gonna flip this in rage? Walk away. Cause it's <sighs> this right. next bit's gonna be uh it's it's gonna Hit that impulse. In a letter responding to Louise Ogborn's suit in Bullet Circuit Court, David Stewart wrote, quote, I received your notice, but I'm in no way responsible. I feel bad for your loss because I am a victim as well. I lost my job, my home, and my car all over something I did not do. End quote. Bullshit. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. I literally give zero fucks. I'm mm -hmm. glad you lost all that shit. You should be in fucking jail, you asshole. Also, this is bullshit because while it's true that Stewart had been fired from his job at Corrections Corporation of America a week after he had been arrested, the losing his home sob story is a fucking stretch because Florida property records show that he actually deeded his residence a $37,000 mobile home on a dirt road 20 miles north of Panama City to his wife for a hundred bucks. So you didn't lose, lose your it. Home, yeah. You gave it, you sold it legally to your wife so that the feds couldn't take it away from you when shit went down. Your wife who is standing by you through all of this fucking horrible shit she's finding out that you did. Exactly. Go fuck yourself. I hate this guy so much, Wendy. While David Stewart was accused of masterminding the bizarre and elaborate hoax for which he faced a possible 15 years in prison, his Louisville lawyer, Steve Romines, said his client was not smart enough to have pulled off the hoaxes, which, I mean, Burn. that's a defense. <laughs> yeah. 
pretty savage too, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I feel like I have too much of an ego that I'd be like, I'd rather fucking rot in prison than you say that I'm a dumb fuck. Oh my god, yes. I'd be like, uh, fuck yes, I masterminded this and you better make sure you use that fucking word when you talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thanks. a puppet master, yeah. you motherfucker. Bitch. Not be like, he literally can't even shower. Yeah, himself. he's so like, dumb. What is happening? He's like an idiot. Romine said, quote, based on numerous conversations with my client, I don't believe he's persuasive or eloquent enough to convince somebody to do these preposterous things, end quote, which, savage. That's very, like, <laughs> damn. Okay. I mean, you know. Shit, I'm sunburned from that one. Holy <laughs> God. Okay. You know, it's a strategy. Yeah, all right, go for it. Whatever's going to get you out of jail, I guess. I guess. Is the, the mantra here. Throughout the trial, Stewart's defense attorney maintained that police had caught the wrong man and that his client was the fall guy. During an interview with ABC News, when pressed on the issue that there was a video of Stewart buying the calling card at Walmart, Romines replied, quote, That's the key question. Was it him? End quote. Romines also noted that even if one were to find that Stewart was the one who had bought the phone cards, it did not prove that he was the one who had made the calls to the fast food establishments. Okay, but they were all found in your trailer. So unless it was you or someone in your family or under this whatever fucking theory, you loaned them out to somebody to make calls and then took them back from them? Is that what I'm supposed to believe happened in this scenario? Well, this is what you call circumstantial evidence. And then this is what you call... Um, this is where beyond a reasonable doubt comes into play. Yes. Yes. And in the end, there apparently wasn't enough evidence to convince the jury. And on October 31st, 2006, after two hours of deliberations, Stewart was found not guilty on all the charges. Though acquitted, he did remain a suspect in similar cases all throughout the United States. And interesting to note... After Stewart's arrest, there have been no reported hoax calls to grocery stores or fast food restaurants. Shocking! How that worked out. Yep. What a quickening. Yeah. What a piece of shit. I cannot believe this motherfucker didn't get any fucking job. I mean, I can believe it because... Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, this is 2006. Like, you know, we were not where we are now. Yeah. And right. even where we are now is, is we got a, a long way to go, but... That's very true. The fucking level of this, dude. <sighs> but even after Stewart's acquittal, there was still a lot left to be hashed out in the courts. Louise began suffering from panic attacks, severe insomnia, and nightmares about, quote, a guy attacking her, end quote. Yeah. Aww. Riddled with anxiety and depression, Louise had to undergo therapy and be put on medication to deal with her PTSD. Louise was an excellent student on track to graduate top 10 in her class. And while she did graduate from Spencer County High School, she was too shaken to enroll at the University of Louisville and abandoned her plans to study pre-med. Oh, that sucks. She that was just fucking, like a oh, good kid. She was such a good kid. And she did not deserve any of that. And it literally like ruined her fucking life. Yeah. Oh. She said after the abuse, she felt dirty and had a difficult time making and maintaining friendships and relationships because she wouldn't allow anyone to get too close to her. Louise said, quote, I can't trust anyone. 
I push people out of my life because I don't want them to know what happened, end quote. Her therapist, Jean Campbell, said, quote, she was dealing with a lot of issues of shame, feeling contaminated, feeling dirty, questioning herself. When anything like this happens, it destroys our illusions, end quote. Three years later, Louise went on to sue McDonald's for $200 million for failing to protect her during the ordeal. Her grounds for the lawsuit were that McDonald's corporate was aware of the danger of the possible hoax because McDonald's had been subjected to similar hoaxes at least two years before, and they were even defending themselves in lawsuits over similar incidents in four other states. Damn. Yeah, they could have put out a fucking memo that was like, hey, by the way. The suit alleges that the company had not taken appropriate action as directed by their own chief of security as outlined in a memo to McDonald's upper management. Donna Summers was initially suspended, then later fired from McDonald's for violating corporate policy prohibiting strip searches and prohibiting non-employees from entering the restaurant's office. A couple of weeks later, she was charged with unlawful imprisonment and was sentenced to one-year probation after entering an Alford plea a type of guilty plea in which a person does not admit guilt, but acknowledges the evidence is sufficient for a conviction. She also sued McDonald's, asking for $50 million for failing to warn her about the previous hoaxes. Kim Daughtry, the second manager, didn't face any legal charges, but was transferred to another restaurant location. In March 2006, Walter Nix pled guilty to sexual assault, sexual misconduct, and unlawful imprisonment. Nix testified that he thought he was following an officer's orders. The judge agreed to a plea deal for Nix in exchange for his testimony against Stewart, which clearly did no fucking good because yeah. that motherfucker got off. Since he was the principal perpetrator in the assault as well as the sex act, he received a five-year prison sentence. McDonald's did defend themselves against the lawsuits and maintained that it was a series of mistakes and poor judgment by the restaurant's manager and her assistants that led to the incident, claiming that Summers deviated from company policy, which prohibits strip searches, and therefore should not be responsible for any action of Summers outside the scope of her employment. Lawyers for McDonald's tried to convince the jury that if the company's employees had taken note of written policies and the 10 to 15 second voice messages a McDonald's security executive had sent to every store manager in the region about hoax calls about a week before the Mount Washington incident, the workers should have realized it was a hoax. However, manager Lisa Siddons, who, if you'll remember, was the one that the caller claimed to be on the line with, yes. but the whole time was at home sleeping. sleeping testified that she had forgotten to mention the voicemail to the assistant managers because the voicemail was vaguely worded and didn't mention strip searches, so she didn't think it was that important. They're just like, watch out for hoax calls, and it's like, cool, thanks. Basically. Yeah. It was like, thanks for the info. Is your refrigerator running? I'll hang up. Exactly. That's what I think a prank call is. I don't think a prank call is the somebody phoning, pretending to be the police. And being like, I'm going to sexually assault you. Is that cool? Because the police is sanctioning this. Great. Cool. Thanks. Okay. Again, if you're by a table with tchotchkes, this might be like, I think the worst part of the whole story. Okay. In the most, are you fucking kidding me moment of the trial, Alan Friedman, a psychologist hired by McDonald's, who was paid more than $50,000 testified that Louise had, quote, grown in some way, 
end quote, from the horrific incident. While the fast food company acknowledged that the teenager had experienced post-traumatic stress, this fucktard had insisted that this was actually a fucking positive, claiming that she had grown from the experience and is more assertive and self-reliant than she was before the terrifying and humiliating three-and-a-half-hour ordeal. Friedman said, quote, It's not the ideal way to come to new growth, but some people grow through their trauma. End quote. It gets worse. Give it a fucking second. When Louise's co-counsel asked this sack of shit if he thought that the event would affect their client for the rest of her fucking life, spoiler, yeah, it will, this piece of shit said, quote, she'll never forget it, but it won't psychologically affect her for the rest of her life, end quote. Oh yeah, because PTSD, just like, it's like a two-week thing and then you're done with it. Like, she literally has fucking panic attacks now. Like, she is not more confident. She can't fucking open up to new people because she's afraid of opening herself up to anybody. Like, what? Oh, yeah. Um, I hope that $50,000 keeps you warm while you're burning in hell, you soulless piece of trash. Like, how do you have a job? This is your fucking job. This is the thing like, you went to fucking you know, school for and you're like, ugh. I've never paid been paid $50,000 for anything. And maybe it's because of that that I'm not, like, devoid of morality and completely corrupt. But you have to, like, have, like, a kihi with yourself where you're like, okay, this horrific thing happened to this child. She's just turned 18. It's my job to argue the level of responsibility that my client that has paid me $50,000 to represent them, or at least, like, it's not, it's it's a, it's a shrink. It's not even a, a co-counsel. It's, like... It's the expert who's brought in. It's the witness who's the expert who's brought in. I don't know how you could be like, well, I mean, I did need 50K for that new Porsche. So I was just going to say that this like severely traumatic experience actually like helped her out. Yeah. She's actually like a way better person. Like, I don't know how you can sleep at night with yourself. Probably just fucking in a fucking Xanax or you know, fucking Ambien. In, well, on a goose feather pillow and like Egyptian cotton yeah, sheets, I'm guessing. Um, it's awful. Being, being moral is very expensive. I will say that. Being a, a decent human being yes. is very expensive. Yes. I, this is outrageous to me. Um, because it's outrageous and it's insulting and it's fucking adding insult to injury. Literally, that's what it's doing. It's fucking infuriating. Infuriating, Monique. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The company also stated that Nix, who performed the acts, wasn't a McDonald's employee and therefore not their responsibility. And lastly, again, get away from a table. Um, and lastly, the victim did not remove herself from the situation, quote, contrary to common sense, end quote, which fuck you. Fuck you. Her therapist said she followed orders because her experience with adults, quote, has been to do what she is told because good girls do what they are told, end quote. And that shit hit me like a fucking ton of bricks because I have spent the last couple of years deprogramming being that. And there are days where I definitely still wobble in that shit. Yeah, that actually kind of gave me chills because that's very... Mm-hmm. I feel like most of us probably yeah. can relate to that 
you know, and it's that thing like the authority figure. There was an incident that happened years ago. I was at my parents' house. I was visiting them with my ex at the time. My dad was out playing golf. Someone rang the doorbell. My mom went to answer it. She came back in and she was like, there's a police officer at the door. And he told me I have to prove that I live here and that I need to give him my ID. And I was like, no, you fucking don't. And she's like, well, he's, he's waiting. And I was like, tell him to get a fucking warrant. What the fuck is this? Like, he's just coming to your house to harass you and yeah. say that you have to prove you live, live here. here? Like, Who the live fuck here. is yeah. this dude? And then it was that thing like, well, well like, I can't keep him waving. He's, he's waiting for me. Like I told him that I go and like, it, it went into yeah. this panic thing. So then I went out with her and I had my ex come out with her because also, I don't know if this dude's a fucking cop. Like as an actor, I know plenty of people who have NYPD uniforms because it helps you get a lot of extra work if you have it. Yeah. So I was like, what's your fucking badge number? I sent my ex out to get his plates. He was definitely inebriated. He was definitely (gasps) slurring his words. This was like 2 p.m. on a fucking Tuesday. He freaked the fuck out when I asked, when I was like, I, I want your fucking badge number. And I told my ex to get his plates. He freaked out. And then was like, he gave some bullshit fucking excuse and then left. <gasps> but it was a thing that, you know, and then my mom called up my dad, freaked the fuck out because fucking obviously. Yeah. And then he was upset as fuck because what the fuck is that? Yeah. He called the chief of police and then did that like bro code, like, well, actually what he did wasn't illegal and blah, blah. And he was like, I'm sorry. Are you telling me that like people can just like police officers can just come to my house and fucking harass my wife in her fucking home when she hasn't done dick? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because that's how it is. Okay. And the thing that like upset me the most of that whole situation is what would have happened if I and my ex weren't there. Yeah. Something probably terrible. Yes. yes. And it's that thing of the authority and the being the good girl. And you, and if, if you're nice, they're going to leave you alone. Yep. Like, I'll if just you just do, do the thing, I'm just going to do I'll it. Just, yep. 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 So that, when it was, that really just hit my soul when her psychologist said that. Also, let's not forget, she was fucking naked during all of this. Like, what, she going to run out of the room naked and, like, through the restaurant? Like, what? Well, so, I'm glad you bring that up. Oh, because God. when she was asked why she didn't run out, Louise told ABC News, quote, I was naked. I was scared. I couldn't bring myself to humiliate myself worse than I already was. Oh. End quote. Which, fuck. And then also... I'm sure she's thinking, if I am if I run, this makes me look guilty when I didn't do anything. Yeah, they're accusing me of a crime that I haven't committed. I don't have anything to hide. I'm just following orders. My female manager was the person who brought this to me originally. It wasn't like it was some creepy dude trying right. to do this. Like, right. Also, interesting to note that I was not aware of, workers' compensation laws in the U.S., Prohibit employees from suing their employer, which I get, but what the fuck? That's fucked up. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Like, I understand that you don't want people to take advantage, but then what about the fucking employers can take fucking advantage? Yeah. What the fuck? There needs to be checks and balances on both fucking sides. Yes. Oh. The jury decided that McDonald's and the unnamed caller, because legally he didn't do it. Which he fucking did it. Audible fucking, fucking eye roll. What the fuck ever. Yeah, and Casey Anthony's fucking yeah, innocent. I'm I know sure. legally she is, but like, let's be fucking real. You know what the fuck is up. And the unnamed caller were each 50% at fault for the abuse Louise Ogborn suffered. McDonald's was ordered to pay 
$2.4 million in legal fees to the plaintiff's lawyers. After those court decisions, McDonald's revised their training program to emphasize awareness of scam phone calls and for protection of employee rights, which that's kind of like literally the least you could do. In October 2007, Louise was awarded $5 million in punitive damages and $1.1 million in compensatory damages and expenses. McDonald's appealed and Louise settled for $1.1 million and abandoned her claim for punitive damages, which I understand, but I feel like you shouldn't be able to appeal punitive damages because for those who don't know, punitive damages is the punishment amount. Compensatory is like, this is what you went through. So we're going to pay you like this amount. And then punitive is like, we're, we're, it's essentially a fine. We're fining you this. So you learn your lesson. Yes. Which they didn't. It was like, they no. appealed it, and then it was like, okay, you just have to pay $1.1 1. which is dick I was to McDonald's. Say, that's nothing to them. That's it's fucking... Nothing. That's pocket change, I'm sure. Summers also sued McDonald's for $50 million and was awarded $1 million in punitive damages and $100,000 in, yep, in compensatory damages. Wait. Yeah. Summers, who nothing actually really happened to, got she just said she was a victim much- as well. And here's the thing. Initially, when charges were were being um like floated around yeah. her, the judge like didn't go through with it, or like the DA I guess didn't go through with it initially, and was like, "No, she was as much as a victim no. as Louise was." Absolutely. And not. then I'm guessing everyone was like, "I'm sorry, what the fucking fuck?" And then reversed that to like charge her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. McDonald's also appealed, and her punitive damages were reduced down to four hundred thousand. I would like to add that though the Milgram experiment may help explain why supervisors went along with a caller, even devotees of Milgram say that it doesn't absolve them of responsibility. Because just as one-third of the participant in Milgram's study refused to shock the subject, some supervisors refused to go along with a caller, including a supervisor at a McDonald's Hillview store who hung up on the caller the same night of the Mount Washington hoax. Good for you. Exactly. There you go. And yes, I am defending this as well because there are still those fucking 35% of people who will not do that. And so that tells me that not everyone is absolutely awful. Exactly. And I think it has to do with, you know, how you raise people, the culture, you know, when you're raised of you listen to adults, you shut the fuck up and you do what adults say. It like, that's your baseline. Yeah. That shit, those neural pathways get really very put in there. It's very true. And I didn't bring it up in this, but there's a whole really fascinating study of the Korean airlines crashes. Okay. Christine and I, she brought this to my attention and basically for several decades, Korean airlines had this really inordinately high number of crashes and they started investigating it. And basically in Korean culture, there is, you don't question your superior. So oftentimes the inferiors on the plane saw that there was a fuck up happening, but you culturally could not question it and literally would go down with the fucking ship. And then they had to do a complete cultural overhaul of like, well, people are dying, so no. And then for like the pilots and stuff, they're like, if you have a motherfucking problem with being questioned, 
there's the fucking door and they basically cleaned house and then wow. it completely changed shit okay their their crash record interesting so this is this isn't even just like a man woman thing oh, it's no, no, just yeah. like how you are psychologically trained to behave and to deal with authority a hundred percent yeah that's crazy though it, yeah yeah it's, i had never heard of the story before really we'll kind of get into it a little bit but if this story does sound familiar to you, it's likely because it's shown up in pop culture. You know that Law & Order loves a rip from the headlines plotline. So in episode 17 of season 9 of Law & Order SVU, Robin Williams was featured as the caller <gasps> with his character identifying himself as Detective Milgram. What? As a, I had no fucking clue about any of this. That's great. I love that. As a nod to the famous Milgram experience. Yeah. Then there was the 2012 feature film Compliance, starring Anne Dowd as the assistant store manager Sandra in a critically acclaimed performance that earned her a National Board of Review Award for Best Supporting Actress and launched her career, paving the way for her unforgettable role as Aunt Lydia in The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, shit. And Compliance was directed by Craig Zobel, who most recently directed the HBO hit series, Mayor of Easttown. Hey! The, so I completely remember. You brought that full circle I to did the beginning fucking of the goddamn episode. Slow <laughs> for this bitch. I love Thank that. You. Well played. Because I had told you, I don't know, you were wasted, so maybe you didn't remember. <laughs> But I, I was like, was we were talking about Mayor of Easttown because you were catching up. And I was shaking you. In public. I do remember that part yes. when I was like screaming. And then I realized later, I was like, I might have spoiled a bunch of shit for the people in the bar. And, and no I gave one fucking zero noticed. bucks. People were zero wasted bucks. at that bar. Uh, I was like, oh, my uh, story is Mayor of Easttown adjacent. You did tell me that. <laughs> I didn't remember. No, Black Eyed Amy did not remember that. <laughs> And it's funny because I remember when Complacence came out. I didn't watch it. I did not see that. I don't remember hearing about this at all, actually. And I remember it came out and I remember like it was touted as based on a true story. And what I had assumed is that how like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on a true story. It's based on Ed Gein and his fucking nipple belt. It's not that level. So I assumed that Compliance was like in the based on a true story thing the thing that they were basing it on was probably like the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. Or like that it was a psychological thing that it was like, it was more like inspired by quote unquote. Yes. But apparently the film, which I refused to watch after doing all this is very, very close to what happened. Wow. Apparently there's only a couple of things that are different. Like it's, a made of restaurant instead of McDonald's because McDonald's wasn't going to fucking Please give them the license. No, of course not. To be like, Oh, we were pieces of shit. No. And then how they find out who the caller is, like in real life was very convoluted of like calling and the call and the, the train like, and the cars. And, and then the, like Massachusetts yeah. is involved. So one of the theories originally of like who who must have done this was there was a payphone that was not far from the McDonald's that had a clear line of sight to the McDonald's and to the police station, which is why like he thought like if the cops are coming, I can just bolt. So in the movie, they basically do that they because like it's a just easier in Hollywood. Exactly explanation because they were just like the reality is too confusing, right? Or but boring. the rest of it apparently is very accurate, wow. and I was like, I I don't want to do that to myself, no, and no. I don't want to watch that. But that was the movie that Anne Dowd like 
took the fuck off. Really? Yeah. Was, I know her from The Leftovers, which we were talking about yeah. right before this. Leftover, she's leftovers phenomenal in it. is after this. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. She's fucking great in that. Patty. Yeah. That was crazy. I probably, as much as I love Anne Dowd, will not watch that movie. Because yeah, Because that was horrifying it was and horrifying, raging. Yeah. And uh, I am just flabbergasted that this somehow missed me completely. And I yeah. have literally never heard of this. Yeah. So I, I wasn't able to find anything on where Louise Ogborn is now or how she's doing. The last I read was that she was hoping to go to law school and take the, the money that she won from the settlement to go to law school. Okay. But I, I just hope she's well and she's happy. Me too. And fuck. But I do know that she never went back to work at the store after the night of April 9th, 2004. Ugh. Which, good. She shouldn't have had to. That would have been extra. Can you that, fucking honestly. imagine? Like, yeah, we're going to need you to come into work in a week. Like, thanks. We gave you or like off, tomorrow. Like, yeah. I mean, you can't take off. I know we like super traumatized you, but. <sighs> um, And that is the fucking insane story of Louise Ogborn that is part of what is known as the scam strip calls. The scam strip calls. Okay. 70 fucking hoaxes in 32 states that were reported. That is over 10 literal years. insanity. 10 years too. I had forgotten that part. Oh, that's so crazy. And this piece of shit got no time. He got no time. No. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Justice in the world. Okay. I mean, I hope he gets like gangrene on his balls or something. I. <laughs> That's specific. Agreed. That was very specific. <laughs> um, I'm ashamed to admit, as soon as gang came out of her mouth, I thought raped in a back alley. Oh so my. That went so much darker on my on my end. I like to go medieval with it. Yeah. And then I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? That that was my first thought. I mean, we do run a, a, a horror podcast. I mean, there's darkness inside me. You guys have realized, obviously. You know, I'm into it, though. Good. I'm into your darkness. The darkness inside you. I believe in a thing called love. <laughs> Just listen to me. <laughs> I love the darkness. Such, such a great song. Oh, it's so... The such video a, is incredible. Oh, it's so good. Such a blast. His hair is just... Oh, for You know, days. he was discovered at a karaoke bar. No, yes. I did not know. That, also, that's the only song I know, but they, they were a one-hit wonder, right? Did they do anything else? They had other songs that were great on that album, but they were a one-hit wonder. And so funny. fun little tidbit, I had purchased tickets to See the Darkness January of last year. Aww. And uh, it was not, the show wasn't in January. I had purchased, the tickets weren't available on January. And the name of their tour was... Easter is canceled. No. Little did they fucking know. Nail on the head. Yeah. Uh. Needless to say, I did not get to see the darkness because everything was canceled. Um, (laughs) You saw a different kind of darkness. It's fine. I did. The darkness of society. Yeah. NBD. But when you're feeling darkness, you should listen to the darkness. Yeah. Always perks me up. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. It's been so long since I thought that song too, so thank you. You're welcome. It's a fucking great song. I was like, and on that wonderful note, yeah. That's a better note to <laughs> That's leave a it really on. positive note. I think let's stick with that. Because I literally was like, I don't know how I'm going to end this after this shit show. That was crazy. I fucking loved the ride. I am flabbergasted. And I still believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of your heart, guys. There you go. Just listen to the darkness. It's so good. <laughs> I think we're going to listen to the darkness to just Uh, palate cleanse. For sure. And all of you should as well. 
We say it every episode, uh, and it can't be stated enough. We're so fucking obsessed with you, and we can't, like, truly can't believe the amazingness of our listeners and the DMs that we get, and you guys are so fucking rad, and that you listen to us and think that we might be rad too is, <laughs> is pretty so wild so and crazy. Yeah. And it's a very, hey, sketch, how did we get here vibe. It totally is, yes. And it's never gonna not be that way. No, And no. just want to let you kids know, we are fucking obsessed with you, and you, we love you so much, and... We talk about you all the time, like... Literally. We're just like, oh my god, they're so amazing. We started the podcast like 30 seconds later to talk about a DM we got from one yes. of our listeners, because... Because stop the presses, everything. We have to talk about it. It makes yes. us so happy. This is why we do it. We're so obsessed with you. Thank you so much for listening to this bizarro thing that came out of a really... Our weird brainchild. Yeah. Our weird brainchild that came out of a, a weirdo time. Yeah. We love you guys so much. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you should, because we're going to post pictures of this sack of shit. I'm not going to say... I'm not going to dox him or say like you should, but... I'm not. Oh, you I'm not that. saying you shouldn't. Yeah, you can fuck some shit up. Fuck yourself out. Yeah. I'm. I'm not gonna say anything so that it can't legally be used against me. But use your judgment as to like how you feel about this sack of shit. There you go. Ruin his life. We're not authority figures telling. We you are to do not. Anything, so don't worry about that. Yeah. I'm only gonna tell you to listen to the darkness and watch the saint. That's it. <laughs> That's enough for me. That's all I need in my life. The Saints on Tubi, babies. If you missed it <gasps> yes. on Amazon, check that shit out on Tubi. Oh, shit. It's so good. So follow us on Instagram. We're at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at pinupgirlmo. You can find me at lobotomy, and that's lobot, period, Amy. And as always, we are always looking for your creepy, weird, true crime, paranormal, what the fuck, wasn't that weird, can you believe this, stories. So please either DM us again on Instagram at another fucking horror podcast or email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking and guys, we're obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.